And now, our feature presentation. Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash Amos to help us continue to make high-quality and tourytainment for you. I remember uh, guys coming in to do deals with me, you know, negotiating deals, business deals. They come in with a bag of blow and throw it on the table, and they'd look at me and say, we don't want to give you anything. And I'd say, I know, so let's negotiate. Now, they want to take me to their yoga teacher, take me out for a vegetarian meal, introduce me to their shrink, and they want to take everything from me at the negotiating table. Mm. So do you see, there's now there's this strange hypocrisy. At least I knew a slime bag in the 80s when he was walking in the door. (laughs) Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Glory of the 80s, the fourth song from Tori's fifth album, To Venus and Back. have 10 items, events, or things from the 80s, what would you put in your 80s time capsule? Okay. You want to alternate? Oh, sure. I love it. You want me to go first? I will follow you. I'm going to go where Eve goes. Will you chase rabbits into their burrow? Well, I don't need shoes. Okay. I have 10 items listed on my 80s time capsule. Are you ready? Yes. Now, our parameters were, they didn't have to be items. They could be people. They could be events. They could be anything that reminded us of the 80s or that existed or lived in the 80s. I would instantly place Fright Night, my favorite horror movie. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> the first thing I would put in my time capsule is Cindy Lauper. He's so unusual. She was the first musical artist that I took a strong liking to and who I associated with her songs. I was a very deep emotional child and even back then I was into my self-care and I remember like drawing myself a hot bath and putting on true colors and like really just like swaying my head to the title track like oh my god this is so emotional (laughs) I just need to be alone with my feelings in the bathtub. I'm so unusual too. (laughs) The second thing in my time capsule is my favorite TV show Rags to Riches. Six Mm. orphan girls get adopted by Nick Foley in the pilot, and then in episode one, they get rid of one of the orphan girls, and it's never explained. We'll take a shot with the orphans. I know it sounds silly, but I credit this show with me realizing there were pieces to myself, different facets to myself, because each of the girls, you had the intelligent Rose, you had the entrepreneur Marva, you had the beauty queen Diane, the tomboy Patty, and then the just little kid at heart Mickey. All of those girls I loved, and I would choreograph, I would choreograph the 
numbers with my stepsister, and I don't know how my parents pretended to be surprised that I was gay when I came out years later. If you and I hadn't watched several episodes of Rags to Riches on YouTube, I would think that this might be an instance of the Mandela effect. And you remembering a show that didn't exist because I'd never heard of it before. And I kind of pride myself on being familiar with 80s pop culture. You're joking. No, I'm not. You've never heard of Rags to Riches before. Rags to Riches, one of my favorite shows. I loved it. What's next? I initially put like A Nightmare on Elm Street because that is my favorite. I also put Slash VHS Culture. Because I remember when VHS was new and video stores were new and just like the ability to bring a movie home and the process of going, it was like a treat to go and like look at all the movies on the shelves and like take the box up to the counter and then they would pull like the actual plastic case out with the tape. I don't know. It just felt like a ritual. It felt like a moment and you had to work hard for things. Okay, my third thing that I'd put in my time capsule, one of my favorite movies and a movie that always makes me cry, Beaches. Mm. I am none other than a fantastic, world famous, Child wonder, CC flu. Oh, number three, the facts of life. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. 80s sitcoms in general are wonderful. With Charlotte Ray or with Cloris Leachman? That's tough. You can't beat Mrs. Girls, girls, Mrs. Garrett. Like, there's nothing better than that. But the Cloris Leachman seasons were what I really think of when I think of the 80s because I was a little bit older, so I remember that more. That's like 87 80s as opposed to like 1984 80s. Very different. So it's hard. No one's going to really make you choose, David. The fourth thing that I put in my time capsule is my favorite magazine, TV Guide. I love it. I didn't even have to watch everything. I just wanted to read the TV guide. You just looked at the scheduling grid and you were like, ooh, I love this show. There was something so pleasing about the like grid lines and Mm -hmm. I just, I really enjoyed it. And the articles, I read it for the articles. Mm, Sure. I really did. I'm imagining you holding TV guide up sideways with the back cover dropping down like centerfold. You're (laughs) like, damn, look at the TV lineup this week. That's hot. Damn, (laughs) TGIF. The next one is mixtapes. I had a stereo with a turntable and a tape deck built in so you could record your vinyl to tape. You don't gotta brag. Anyway, I made very good mixtapes using my vinyl singles. And again, I would make a lot of like romantic mixes with like Richard Marks and whatever and just sit there in my room mooning, listening to my love ballads like, God, I hope to experience these (laughs) adult emotions someday. My favorite game show, Press Your Luck, would have to go in the time capsule. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies, stop! You watch the new Press Your Luck? No, it's not the same. Oh my god, it is so, it is the most stressful thing on television. I almost can't handle it. Next up is Rhythm Nation, 1814, by Janet Jackson. Coming in hot, squeaking in, in 1989. Just made it. Five, four, three, two, one. I love this album. It makes me incredibly happy. It would definitely be one of my Desert Island discs. My favorite board game, well, my favorite game, Light Bright. I loved the Light Bright. Mm. I would put that in my time capsule because I would find that people would find that an interesting representation of humanity at the time. <laughs> oh, you make pictures with pegs on lights. The Light Bright. And that's also how restaurant hostesses marked tables that were occupied. See? Job skills. Saturday morning cartoons. When you're a kid, you wake up early for no reason. You don't have to, but you like almost can't wait to get up because you haven't realized that life is hard yet. It's finally programming for you. Yes. So I loved Smurfs. I loved Alvin and the Chipmunks, all that stuff on Saturday morning. My next thing, obviously, we can't have an 80s time capsule without Madonna. What are your dreams? What's left? 
mm, to rule the world. And she did. Mm -hmm. I truly cannot overstate the impact that Madonna had, not only on the world, but on me as a child. From the very first moment I saw the Borderline video, the Lucky Star video, learning the dance, all the, I mean, who's that girl? I wanted to be Nikki Finn. I wanted to have my bra strap slightly falling off my shoulder while I burned crosses behind me, just like in the Like a Prayer video. I wanted the long hair. I wanted to drink a Pepsi with a white streak in my hair. I wanted it all. I wanted to dance. I could dance. For inspiration. Number seven, Thrifty Ice Cream. I specifically remember there was a time in the 80s when Thrifty Ice Cream was still 25 cents a scoop. So you could get a triple scoop for the bargain price of 75 cents. And I did, because why get one when you can get 50, as far as I'm concerned. But three was the max. My next thing is the silhouette created by the mullet in connection with the tightly rolled up pant leg. This is very specific. I like it. That was the look I was rocking in the 80s. Was it? You didn't just admire it, you actually wore it? Oh, wonderful. I love it. Number eight, Nintendo. Yes, of course, of course. Original NES, game changer. Literal. Loved it, Super Mario, Zelda, all the classic games. And my mom said back then and like years after that, like the Nintendo was the best thing we ever bought. You played that so much. I don't know if that really meant like it got you out of our hair, but I think she meant as an investment. That was worth the ticket price because I used it a lot as opposed to my other toys, I guess. Second to last on my list, my favorite collectible item from the 90s, Garbage Pail Kids. Mm. <laughs> Come on. I love those gross little fuckers. <laughs> Do you have any Garbage Pail Kids left? No, I wrote my name on the back of all of them and ruined my entire collection. Oh, no. Did you think someone was going to steal them or confuse them for their Garbage Pail Kids? And you were like, I'm going to nip this in the bud right now. No, I must have been going through a period of time where I did not feel like I had ownership over anything in the world. Mm. <laughs> so Oh, I literally wrote my name on everything, on my stuffed animals, everything. In Sharpie. This is something I would like to explore further with you off air. Okay, fine. Number nine, V.C. Andrews, which isn't necessarily relegated to just the 1980s, but I associate the Flowers in the Attic series and the movie that I was obsessed with, with the 1980s. The final thing that I put in my 80s time capsule was one thing that I enjoyed and the best part of school were the book fairs. Do you remember the book fairs and you would buy books for like a dollar? Yeah, when like the mobile thing would pull up and they would like open yeah. the doors and like it was built in shelves that were all stocked. And it was all colorful books and it smelled uh, so good. And you were like, I want to book it. God, yeah. it's like the best of two things, a bookstore and a game show. It's like, mm -hmm. show them what they've won and the doors open and it's just shelves full of books. <laughs> Number 10, you're going to throw up a little bit, but that's okay. Number 10 is my amazing partner, Jamie, who was born in the 80s. So I get to have him there too. I will have to say honorable mention goes to, and I was clever about this because I'm going to put my time capsule in one of those capsules that you send up into the air at a drive through bank. And that's my honorable mention. Oh, yeah. Like the vacuum tube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's my time capsule. <laughs> That'll be so amazing when you open the little capsule and an entire book fair comes spilling out of it. I know. <laughs> that's a dream. What's your first impression of Glory of the 80s, the song? I heard it live for the first time. Oh, that's right. You were on tour. Yes. And I was like, what is this banger? It's the closest thing we have to a title track from this album. 
right? Since she actually says, I took a taxi from Ellie to Venus. Yeah. Well, it's like a shout out to the title. Contextualize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems almost Alanis Morissette to me, which makes sense that that's the tour that it premiered on because she's really jamming a lot of lyrical content into the phrasing in a way that I don't think she's necessarily done before or since when she's almost like sing talking like electromagnetic back to it that go down like whoa it's like whoa 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 yeah I was wondering which one of us was gonna say Alanis Morse at first because oh. I feel that as well it's very stream of conscious in that way and it has that weird sound there's something running through it that is very reminiscent of thank you by Alanis as well like there's that sound that I don't know there's mm, something about mm. it you're not the first one I've talked to about this other people have that I've talked to have talked about the Alanis Morissette similarity it's so weird I can't explain it but yeah I agree I agree 100% yeah a lot of late 90s songwriting was about list making or just like rattling a lot of things off it's like how about those transparent dangling carrots how about no longer yada 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 yeah well Alanis Morissette that's her style she said she was super influenced by Bob Dylan stream of consciousness and I wonder on what level obviously this couldn't have been influenced i mean it could have been influenced by alanis morissette but it couldn't have been influenced by their time together because their time together came later but we don't know what kind of time they spent together before tour maybe they just haven't spoken about it they made it packed oh my god maybe they wrote this song together uh what if tori is the svengali behind supposed former infatuation junkie you know that wouldn't surprise me because that's her best album <laughs> what if we were right all along and in uninvited she's not singing uncharted territory i must she is singing tori amos I knew it! The whole time. The whole time. My first impressions of this track, I liked this track because it was such a departure, I felt, from her style. And I simultaneously recognized it as being the crux of the album or like the heart of the album or the point of the album almost, you know? Or like born of the album and of the time that it would have been impossible not to include it on the album. But at the same time, I was like, I enjoyed the more intense stuff like Bliss, Suarez, and Concertina. I just felt like this was a little bit more fun. And you know how much I hate to have fun. You know, I like everything serious. Oh my so, God, I yeah. always have to convince you to have fun. And then once you have it, you're usually glad you did, but you're still always like, ugh. Eh. No, uh, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get down to business. Yeah. Tori Amos, make a point. <laughs> Should we talk about our Patreon supporters? I mean, we've talked about so much already. I'm exhausted. Row one more thing on the pile. I'm ready. Hello to new Patreon supporter, Kristen Keys. Hi, Kristen. Where'd you put the keys, Kristen? Hello to new patron supporter, Sugar Mouse. You know, I do have a rodent phobia, but Sugar Mouse sounds cute. Mouse who brings you sugar? That's true. What about when a lion becomes a sugar mouse? I know the robins bring many things, but what do the mice bring? Sugar. Hello to new patron, Mark Sardo. Hi, Mark. Boy, so Sardo. Boy, so Sard. Oh. Hello to Katie Quashin. You're quashing it still. Still quashing it. <laughs> still quashing it. And finally, last, but certainly not least, hello to new patron Shay Stymac. Shay, oh. you already support us in so many ways. She sounds familiar. Sadly, I can't think of a single Tory pun to make with your name. Not a single one. She's our new Shatreon? She's our new Shatreon. <laughs> And as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. New, old, young, fresh. Recurring. Featuring under fives. Guest starring. Cameos. Showing up randomly like that blonde chick that sings Betty Davis Eyes. Should we talk about our guests? Yeah. Who's coming to the 80s? One of my favorite podcast hosts of all time, who's also a Tramus fan, is going to be on this episode. Her name is Theta Hamill, and she hosts the podcast Nympho Wars alongside Macy Rodman. She did an amazing cover of Siren that I'm sure you've heard. She'll be here to talk about her love of Gloria 
of the 80s. And I'm going to get her to talk about her love of Tori Amos and hopefully her love of me as well. Oh, my God. You're going to the 80s prom with Theta Hamill. Oh, I can't wait. Secondly, we have another favorite person of mine, John Auersler, who is a super fan of this song. And this was a song that I associated with John way back in the day. So he's got to be here to talk about why he loves this song so why, much. Why, John? Why, John? Tell me why. And then finally, Eric Ifergen, he directed not only this video, the Glory of the 80s video, and we're going to get down to business. We're going to find out what the heck is going on. He also directed the A Thousand Oceans video. So we're going to talk to him then too, but you have to wait for that. He was Tori's go-to director for songs involving numbers in the title and boxes. 1,000 Glories. Have you ever thought of Glory Hole of the 80s? No. Never? That was my first Tori-inspired username. (laughs) And of course, as always, we have to say thank you and acknowledge the hard work by our archivist, historian, teacher, lover, mother, Shay Stymac. Shay took a taxi from LA to Venus in 1985. Shady five. That's so good. She's shady. She's shady five. Shay was electromagnetically shaked back. I would totally clone myself like that blonde chick that sings Betty Shavis eyes. Shay's got Betty Shavis eyes. <laughs> Thank you for everything that you do, Shay. We are thrilled to have you on the team. Shay, you're out there orbiting around. Thanks, Shay. What do you say we get on with this 80s party? Get on with it. Since there are no Glory of the 80s covers to play here, here is my favorite 80s song, Exploding Bullets by Real Life. because they they haven't maybe played Holiday Inns for 14 years. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference. Did you play Holiday Inns? 14 years. Really? Did that little little cocktail piano thing? I did two things. I did that for four hours, and then I do the night shift with my little drum machine. Yeah. But, I mean, I you could do gym. things like what I did for love and songs like that. You do all that. Cabaret. You, you do all that. Really? Sure. Do you ever long for those days again? No. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I mean, a, I mean, like you, you brought your, you brought, we, you have your big, uh, your big uh, uh, Roland here. Well, this isn't what I play. I mean, I play a real piano, but yeah. obviously, I can't carry it on my back. Yeah. So I have. But to... I mean, if you were at the Holiday Inn right now, could you just give us a little idea of what you did at the Holiday Inn? Could you just, just a? Do you remember any of it? 
still a kid. And you can put the five dollars in the brandy snifter. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Look, if you're a piano player, you got three choices. You teach, you are the church organist, you you play clubs, yeah. lounge, yeah. or then you do your own music and, you know, you, you people like it. Glory of the 80s is the fourth track from Tavina Sinback, which was released on September 21st, 1999 in the United States and September 20th, 1999 in the United Kingdom. This song was the third single in the United States and the first single in the United Kingdom from the album. And it appears on both Glory of the 80s CD single parts one and two and Glory of the 80s CD single part two, The Miss Press, which was just basically part one. It also appears on the Glory of the 80s cassette single and the Glory of the 80s CD single mispressed in Australia, which it's not the mispressed that's the United Kingdom mispress. It's the Australian mispress, which plays Temperamental, the album, by Everything But The Girl. (laughs) Glory of the 80s was wild. There's something weird going on with this song. She was drunk. (laughs) She was when she was pressing the CDs in her garage. She was like, it's like, whatever. And I miss you. Were there or are there this many errors in record releases? And we know about it because we follow Tori so closely. So it just seems like a lot because there's also like the title mishap thing with Purple People. We talked about one of her singles plays To Be With You by Mr. Big, which would be a lovely surprise for me. But it just seems like there's a lot of errors going on. Do you think that's typical? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know that there's that many. I think we can name like four errors, right? Out of her career, I feel like that's not that many. I feel like someone who's not so careful about their work maybe like periodically for a brief time got into bob dylan i only absorbed the first like four albums and already there was like all these versions to keep track of there was like one that was accidentally labeled stereo but it was mono i was like oh my god and that was just bob dylan in the first four albums were you like oh my god why is this music coming out of both headphones at once yeah i was pissed about it Because the errors stopped when she stopped working with Atlantic, right? Well, that's true, but so did singles. Oh, so sad. Was Strange Little Girls, was that an error or a copyright thing? Because remember they pulled it, probably because of her t-shirt that they hadn't cleared the rights to? I don't know. I feel like her singles were kind of cursed from this point on. Yeah, I think it was a copyright thing on the Mm t-shirt. That was an error to not clear the copyright before they printed or before they designed the booklet or before they even took the pictures. When they took the pictures, they should have licensed the t-shirt. They should have cleared the copyright. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So, yeah. Glory of the 80s next appears on a piano on the Pele, Venus, and Tails disc in the same version that it is on the record. Although I think there's probably a little boost up, you know? Mm. The last we hear from Glory of the 80s, she appears on not one, not two, but four legs and boots toronto nashville fort myers and houston roll that beautiful houston footage ollie (laughs) 
This is my main challenge with these legs and boots. Now, when Pearl Jam did these legs and boots, when Pearl Jam did like, what are they, feet and sandals? When Pearl Jam did their legs and boots. <laughs> Puka shells and flip flops. Yeah, exactly. They had such a vast catalog and they would play like random things. At least that's my perspective. Is like there was one bootleg you could get like WMA, which was my favorite song. And then everything seemed so different. But to have glory of the 80s on four relatively back to back to back to back boots, like the 12th, the 17th, the 25th of November, I think that was the trouble. Well, Tori has as an extensive catalog, right? Yeah, but then how come Daisy Dead Pe- Where's Daisy Dead Pedals? Yeah, she's been missing for a long time, I can tell you that. I don't know why I'm thinking of that song in particular, but like, let's shake it up. Did you want a band arrangement of Daisy Dead Pedals? Hell yeah. I want a band arrangement of Daisy Dead Pedals on the 2023 tour. Yeah. With five minute intro where she like gives it to John because she's so impressed with the bass. He's like, boom, 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 boom. Would this be the song where she puts her lip gloss on with her leg up on the bench and does the like, give it to me, give it to me hands thing? (laughs) Daisy's the new concertina. And then we never hear from Glory of the 80s again, at least to date, in her catalog. We haven't heard from her since. I'm sure she's out there orbiting around. I don't know. She might be in hiding because now we're all about 90s nostalgia. What would you do if on Tori's next album we got the equivalent of an Upside Down 2 with Glory of the 90s? We should uh, write our own lyrics for the wrap-up episode. Okay. (laughs) Done. Were you surprised that this was included on a piano? No. Okay. Because it was a single. <laughs> Were you surprised? Were kind you of. Were there other singles that weren't included? I know this was a single, but I still consider it kind of a deep cut and something that she doesn't or hasn't performed that often. So I was a little baffled by including Glory of the 80s, but not Tallulah, for example, or Space Dog or Icicle. I know those weren't singles, but I consider those kind of seminal Tory songs. Well, Tallulah was a single. Tallulah was a single, yes. And arguably a bigger single than Glory of the 80s. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love that there was a time in the 90s when a bluegrass what did we call it a folk bluegrass banger something on the episode anyway we coined a term that accurately described Tallulah and probably no other song ever but that was a single this reveals that you haven't listened to the Tallulah episode in years probably god it's true do you like us or do you like us David I like us why do you think it was not included on the fade to red dvd I don't know so two videos are not included right strange little girls and glory of the 80s we have to believe they didn't want to pay for the rights for a strange little girl since it's a cover do you think that that's right or true i vacillate between that idea that they didn't want to pay for the rights or that they couldn't get the rights to like keep it on in perpetuity okay as far as i'm aware of you pay per album sale like every hundred albums that you sell that has a cover on it you pay a percentage but with a video i don't know it's just it might be a little Mm. i don't know i hate to live in a world where i imagine that she wouldn't want to pay for something that would preserve her legacy because this is a video she did like what are we just never going to remember it it's probably an atlantic records issue right I don't know. But yeah, I mean, she's a businesswoman. So they're probably looking at like return on investment. She's a business woman. <laughs> Doing a job. I don't know. Or maybe she just wanted it to be a body of her work and like didn't want a cover on there. She did that in Welcome to Sunny Florida when she suddenly pivoted from performing Take to the Sky with I Feel the Earth Move to performing Take to the Sky with Muhammad, my friend. I know. Why do you think Glory of the 80s is not on Fade to Red? My guess would be that it's not a runtime issue only because I'm looking at the Fade to 
thread audio commentary track. And that all together is an hour, 23 minutes. Mm. You can get more than an hour, 23 minutes on one DVD. Oh, yeah. So, you can get an entire feature film and special features and everything. So Yeah. And the fact she's got it on two discs means to me that there's plenty of room. So maybe that was a licensing issue as well. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe she just didn't like it. It's a very strange video. It is. Maybe we should go right to the source and we should ask the director of the video. Oh, we should. Maybe he has some deep knowledge. Maybe he put his foot down and said, absolutely not. My masterwork shan't be amongst the lesser videos. Could be. Oh, this is a review from Amazon.com, a customer review of Fade to Red. I love this DVD and I love all her music videos. I only gave it four stars because not all of her videos are on it. I know Glory of the 80s was never actually released. It was only on the Concertina CD single. It was also missing Strange Little Girl, which was also an official video that was released. So it's even more perplexing why it was left off as well. They chose to include a quote, music video for Professional Widow, which was just a compilation of clips from her other videos. Glory of the 80s and Strange Little Girls could have been included instead of that. Oh, speak the truth. Truth to power, Chris. Someone named T-Mobs also wrote, As many reviewers are noting, the collection is missing the film clips for Strange Little Girls and Glory of the 80s, despite the fact that it's sprawled across two DVDs. If Rhino were committed to doing a really good job, they wouldn't have released this until the legal wrangles were sorted. If they were doing a great job, they would have fought hard to get the big picture as well from Tori's early career, which she has begun to acknowledge. But instead we get something that doesn't even include the regular canon. Tori never would have included the big picture on Fade to Red. I agree. Maybe today she would have yeah but definitely not then not 2006 no definitely not then i do feel like this song was the first inkling we had of her making peace with yktr because up until this point it's not that she wouldn't talk about it but she would roll her eyes and i remember when greg kinnear bought at the album and she was like no and he said like oh your songwriting has changed and she was like let's hope so but at this point she was finally able to be a little more playful about it and have fun with it and not just like totally swear it off and distance herself from it she was like yeah the 80s were good she's definitely leaned into it a lot more now too yeah so. for sure she sold merch yeah she sold merch and they reissued the album which i feel like she at one point said would never happen i don't think she had any choice in the reissue though no no i think they were capitalizing off of native invader she seemed as surprised as we were when reissue was announced yeah she definitely did (laughs) but then she (laughs) sold merch so i mean lean into it hey she's smart yeah why not she's smart and the merch came out of elise pasquale i'm gonna throw credit where credit is due because after she did that interview where she said under fucking rated elise was like like, you should do a shirt that says under fucking rated. And like, it just kind of all fell together. God bless. <laughs> God bless the 2017s. We were so young and naive. What a quaint time. It really was. Why don't you read this from Atlantic Records promo bio on September 9th, 1999. Glory of the 80s chronicles Tori's halcyon days on the Sunset Strip. A time of big hair, bustiers, and professionally ripped jeans. Looking back, I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else in the 80s than as a working musician in LA, she reflects. There was a wonderful decadence about that time, even being on the bottom of the food chain in the underground scene. Going up to Melrose, buying your outfit from retail sluts, spraying and teasing up your hair. Happy times. That said, Tori is also aware of the hypocrisy and contradictions that were so prevalent in the Reagan years, a time marked by both excesses and ultra-conservatism. I remember Live Aid well, she notes. I was with people who were touched by those images of starving children, so they phoned the hotline, and while they were on hold, they did a line that was half the value of the amount they were going to pledge. That's how it was. Generosity and decadence. That is such a visual image, honestly. Uh 
but I like the shout out to Retail Slut. I was just going to say that too. Retail Slut stuck around for a long time. I remember going to Melrose way past the era Tori's talking about and seeing that Retail Slut was still there. So did you go inside? I didn't. I wasn't a slut. They were like, sorry, we only allow sluts in this store. (laughs) You're like, I'm a romantic. Where's Retail Romantic? I'm just looking for Richard Marx singles. No, I really do think that the song captures that essence or that excessiveness that she's talking about. And I feel like that excessiveness... What a perspective she has on it because she was at the bottom of the food chain, as she says, you know, because it was just like a wild party and she had no one to answer to and no work to do, you know, like she was just, you know, if she'd been a successful musician at that time, she'd have had to do press and tour and it might not have been the same Mm. energy, you know, but because she's at the bottom of the ladder, she had a blast. I would have loved to have been, I once went to the Rainbow Room with Dorothy Dotson in 2005 and I was like, God, this place is heaven. I can only imagine it in the 80s. Was Ron Jeremy there? Ron Jeremy was not there but we did run into johnny knoxville Ooh, this is from documentary france september 23rd 1999 tori says the 80s that was just a time where la was a great place to be on the bottom of a food chain because there was a real underground at that time and a lot of bands got their start coming out there there was a real club life there was an exchange going on between musicians which was very exciting and la wasn't so pc then i mean i'll tell you no lie During that Live Aid thing, you know, that big Live Aid thing, there would be people that I know making that phone call when they would see that little baby, that little starving baby that, you know, obviously would touch their heart. But at the same time, you know, mime sniffing cocaine. (laughs) They'd be just waiting on the phone. It'd be like mime someone holding a phone receiver in one hand and sniffing cocaine with the other. You started to see that they would first go and give $50 and then they would decide, no, 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 25, we're running out. And that was like what that time was about. I love the paradoxes of things because they're always living together. They're always circling. And now L.A., for me, it holds those memories. I don't buy into the commercial radio. You know, they can suck my dick. I'm not seduced by that anymore. There was a time, and I think I was really humbled by something my grandfather, who's part Cherokee, told me. At that moment in the interview, bells rang in the distance, and she says, Chimes are ringing. This is cute. I feel him sometimes. He always comes and visits me. And he said to me, you cannot separate yourself from your creation ever. Whatever you create, if that's manipulativeness, if that's disrespect for somebody else, you're not separate from what you've done to that person. They're written like on your tapestry. They're part of your weave. I love that. I love that whole thing. And I love the moment where the bells chime, where he's just like, she mentions him and Mm -hmm. ching, 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 ching. This could not be a better snapshot of Tori. I agree. There's an otherworldly visitation, and she mentions her Cherokee grandfather and says, suck my dick in the same breath. Mm-hmm. Mm. Everything you want out of a Tory quote. For sure. In 1999. <laughs> it's actually uh, everything I want from life. This aired originally on September 23rd, 1999, which was one day to the day before I was attempting to see her in Vegas. Oh. You did eventually get to see her in Vegas on subsequent tours, though, right? She played there a couple times for Scarlet's Walk. Just making sure. Every time I go to Vegas, it's like full circle moment. It's reparations for what happened to me. Do you brace for disaster every time you're getting closer, like waiting for your car to burst into flames? Well, I won't drive through Seligman, Arizona ever mm. again. And mm. I don't even know how we ended up in Seligman, Arizona, honestly. Like, we could have gone a completely different route. Ugh. Anyway... Why don't you read this from Esquire, October 1999? The thing about LA in the 80s was that people were doing blow and talking about their charity work at the same time, which I thought was accurate. Now the vegans are running the music industry. The vegans. <laughs> 
vegans shakes fist in the air they have no smoking laws everyone's drug free going to their aa meetings they all need glasses and a good bordeaux i do not know about this quote she's still high and she also kind of just like makes light of people in treatment for alcoholism and says they need a good bordeaux like mm. and she also really really loves calling out people for their cocaine usage i've heard her do it in person at a meet and greet i love it I call out people for their cocaine usage all the time. Okay. I think the sooner we acknowledge it and all do it, the better we are all going to be. Then we'll all just be doing cocaine together. Once it's destigmatized, we just need to Absolutely. talk about it more. It's about coke visibility. Is that what you're saying? Sometimes you just need a bump. Bump it. And coke visibility needs a bump. Yeah, coke zero. That's my go-to coke. Great. Why don't you read this from All Music, October 1999. Same month, different magazine. The harpsichord is very much in glory of the 80s. She's part of the bed. I cut it live with the piano. You might not notice it, but she's there. I love that because glory of the 80s could be the 1780s. That makes me happy, oh. actually. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that movie, Marie Antoinette, just like recontextualizing the character yes, in the modern time. Totally. Yes. So when she says, I cut it live with the piano, do you imagine her playing both at once? No. I imagine her cutting it live with the piano and adding texture. That's how I imagine it. What do you imagine? But how would that work? She's swiveling back and forth like Cuddleite's knees? No, I imagine her cutting it live with the piano and then later building in texture with the harpsichord. Not cutting it together live. I thought she was specifically referring to the harpsichord, though, when she says, I cut it live with the piano. I think she's saying, I cut it live the song with the piano, no? How else would you ever record a song? I just feel like there's something unique about this, and she's specifically talking about the harpsichord, but I could be wrong. No, I know she's talking specifically about the harpsichord. I just interpret that as the harpsichord is very much in Glory of the 80s. She's part of the bed. For some reason, I'm hearing texture, but I could be wrong too. We could both be wrong. Ugh, that would be the first time it's ever happened. What do you think? You think she cut the piano and harpsichord live simultaneously? I don't know. I'd have to listen to the song again and try to pinpoint like how present it is. Meaning like if it's playing continuously throughout the song. Because if it just sort of comes We're in. We're going to do that. Oh my God. But it is very hard to pick out though. We didn't even mention the credits because on this track, you've got some piano and harpsichord by Tori Amos, written mm. and produced. You've got drums by Matt Chamberlain, bass by John Evans, guitar by Steve Caton, mixed and recorded by Mark and Marcel, assisted by Rob, published by Sword and Stone, inspired by that man doing cocaine while calling Live Aid. Mm. From VH1.com, November 1999, Glory of the 80s is a great evocation of a particular place and time. And Tori says, the decadence of the 80s in LA brings out a smile. I wasn't into the LA hard rock scene, even though I had big hair and I had thigh-high plastic boots. I think I was more into the gothic witch thing. Pirates, it was the whole dressing up moment. Adam Ant with tits, but not really. His were much cuter than mine or my friends. We used to wake up and go to retail slut and pick up a few pieces for the week. There was a balance of thigh-high plastic boots and going to see your shaman. I liked that. It was all happening at the same time. Everything was so much on the outside, pleasing things on the outside, but there was a lot of camaraderie that I really adored. A lot of us were friends going to see different bands. It wasn't competitive in the way it became in the 90s. In the 90s, well, you're doing your yoga thing, you're eating the right foods, your friends at PETA aren't giving you too much shit, and I like my friends at PETA. In the 80s, people were calling into the Live Aid charity and doing blow at the same time, and I found that very honest. There was a shadow aspect that people weren't hiding as much. 
I love this because it references the idea that we know about through talking to Caton and just kind of tracking it is that everybody was playing in everybody's bands. Like Caton even mentioned he would play in her bands even prior to Why Can't Tori Read. She would sing back up in his groups, you know, that we've never heard of. Mm-hmm. So everybody was just kind of, oh yeah, come down. I love that idea. I love that there's a group of artists or like a, a collective of artists kind of intertwining or intersecting, you know? Yes. Do you think Tori does not differentiate between gothic witches and pirates? Are they the same to her? Like I was more into the gothic witch thing. You know, pirates. It's like, wait, what? Pirates of the Caribbean, they're witches, right? They're not. Doesn't he disappear? No. What? No. I've, I've never seen the movie. He disappears, though, at one point. <laughs> so? Right? He's a ghost. A lot of things disappear without being gothic witches. What? He's a ghost, right? Who? Johnny Depp. No, he's not a ghost. He's a pirate. He disappears. What do you mean he disappears? I don't know. I haven't seen it. All right. I think you're just thinking of the lyrics to the song. Just then you go and disappear. Why don't you read this from Boys Magazine, 6th of November, 1999. The boys ask, what's the wildest sex you've had? Oh, man. And Tori says, I will tell you something that almost happened. Well, that's not what I asked, but okay. I was in this. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just completely circumvent the question and give you a completely different answer for something else. (laughs) I was in this bar in LA in the 80s, and these two beautiful guys, underwear models, I'm listening, gorgeous, come up to me and said, do you want to come home with us? And I said, obviously, I'm worried you've got a butcher knife and you're going to chop me up into 17 pieces. And I can't be tortured again. And they said, that's the chance you take. And I really couldn't go back. I think they were dicking with me. Were they gay? I think they were swinging. I do wonder if they would have been violent. If a guy hits me, I will literally grab hold of his throat, put my teeth into it, and rip until he's dead. I bet she did go home with them. Uh, Who wouldn't go home with two hot underwear models that approach you at a bar in the 80s? I'm raising my hand. Uh, Yes, I would do that. (laughs) It depends on what kind of underwear. Oh, good question. What would it take? And what would you say no to? I would say no to like any Gap Calvin Klein underwear model. What? Why? Yes. Wait, is it about the model themselves or the brand or like the actual underwear? That's about the type of model, I guess. That's not the type of person I usually go home with at a bar. Okay, go on. I would prefer like a beefy, jockstrappy, <laughs> leathery underwear model. Yeah, I see. that's what I would go home with. Okay. I mean, this quote's a little bizarre, and some of these quotes are problematic, and let's discuss it. For example, this one from Attitude Magazine, November 1999. And remember, this was 20-some-odd years ago, so this is a different time. But someone asked Tori, what inspired the first single, Glory of the 80s? And they must be British, because it was the first single in the UK, the third single in the US. we got to cover all bases, though. Tori says, mainly the honesty of the decadence of that decade. There's the line, and then just when it all seemed clear, you go and disappear. I knew a lot of great people in the 80s, but at the time, I didn't always understand them. Now, there's such a void in the art world. People with vision have physically passed on. It's also a stab at political correctness. You can't say this, you can't say that. Now everybody has to be called a Spanish-American or an African-American, and I mean, oh bloody fucking hell. I understand the abuses that have happened, and I absolutely think that recompense should be paid, but you don't do it just on a surface level. Everybody thinks that debt has been paid to the quote-unquote Indians who had their land taken away for them because we call them Native Americans. It's hard when everything is so eggshell, eggshell, eggshell. I do miss the 80s. It was great knowing that friends were on one hand dialing a charity, on the on the other hand, doing a line of blow, but not lying about it, being honest. None of us were this light and dark fantasy. What's dark to you may be light to me and vice versa. There's that media created thing that says that you're either a Christian family type with 2.4 kids or an unemployed junkie, that if you're gay or have taken drugs or whatever, you can't be a good person or conscious. 
I believe you can be conscious without those extremes. Some people are addicts. I accept that. But you know, not everybody is. You can walk into realms of altered states and experience that and also drink water. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to crave an e-tab every five minutes. We get it, Tora. You can quit anytime you want to. <laughs> I can quit. I can quit. <laughs> I truly believe what she's saying is, back in the 80s, we may not have had the political correctness that we have now, but the political correctness isn't the solution. Like, we think that everything's okay and that we've made reparations because now we're calling everybody Native Americans instead of Indians, but we're still taking their land and there's still atrocities being laid onto the Native Americans. So it's about going beyond a surface level. It seems to me that you would rather have them on the surface in your face as they were in the 80s rather than hidden and that hiding them feels a little darker and feels like a little more sinister. Is that what you're getting from this? Yeah. And you know, at first glance, it looks like she's kind of put out by the idea of having to consider what different groups want to be referred to as. But that's not what she's saying. I think she's saying people have sort of considered it done. Yeah. Like, oh, if we honor people by referring to them as they ask to be referred to, then that's all we have to do, really. And she's like, "Mm, no, not really. That's actually nothing. Right. The work has not even started. (laughs) Right. Totally. And I actually like what she says about none of this are this light and dark fantasy. I think that really kind of sums up kind of the mission statement of Tori's work that like none of us are either all good or all bad. Like we're complex beings and that's not something to be afraid of or to shy away from like our own capacity for darkness or even evil or violence. But that doesn't make us all bad. I think that's kind of lovely, actually. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think that it was really apparent in the 80s that everybody was just being themselves. It was a different time and no one was worried about offending someone with words necessarily that they were worried about offending with actions. Whereas now, maybe the consideration for others stops at words, Mm. you know. So true. Why don't you read this quote from the Boston Globe, August 27th, 1999. Well, you can't call your record Venus and not be modern, right? She says with a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Cackle. You can't go retro with a name like that. Other new songs of note, she may only slip one or two into Tuesday's show because the album isn't out yet, include the atmospheric Suede, the spiraling Concertina, the airy Lust, the alluring Spring Haze, and the show-stopping Glory of the 80s. The latter recalls her days in Los Angeles, where she moved after growing up in the Washington-Baltimore area, and the Silicone Party Barbies, a space cake high, and auditioning for reptiles in the entertainment industry. In short, it's vintage Tory. A couple things about this quote. She says, you can't call your record Venus and not be modern, right? And then they go on about the song from the past. That's true. Glory of the 80s. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And do you automatically equate Venus with modernism? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at the time I did. Like the space travel, the electronica, it all Mm. felt very modern. I guess I associate it with postmodernism, which I consider to be time travel. So maybe that's what it means. Oh, I see. Because we are going back in time. I associate it with Art Deco and the Baroque period because there's harpsichord on it. Mm. In 2019, Albumism did a 20th anniversary look back, a retrospective look back at Tavinus and Back, which had turned 20 that year, mm. finally. You'd been waiting, but felt like forever. <laughs> the first 20 years is the hardest. It's true. After that, they just fly by. She'll be 40 before we know it. 
This is what they had to say about Glory of the 80s. Released a few weeks after Tavinus and Bax's arrival, the harpsichord-driven third single, Glory of the 80s, finds Amos waxing wistfully nostalgic about her pre-fame period spent in the City of Angels, as best captured in the third verse. Silicone party Barbies to the left, and the Joan of Arcs to the right. No one feeling insecure. We were all gorgeous and famous in our last lives. In the glories of the 80s, you said the end is nothing to fear. I said, blow the end now, baby. Who do I got a shag to get out of here? A staple of Amos's live set lists to this day, which I will blow apart in the live section. I will <laughs> I will make this reporter crumble. You're going to blow the end? A staple of Amos's live sets to this day. And this was written in 2019. Okay. <laughs> That's my finger tapping so you remember this moment. A staple of Amos's live set list to this day, the standout fourth and final single. Oh, so they're talking about concertina. Never mind. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm still mad. I'm pissed. <laughs> and I think my anger is justified. This reporter needs to learn when to start a new paragraph. No kidding. Also, I'm just moving the source of my anger over to the fact that they called this song harpsichord driven. Who in their right mind would place the harpsichord in the driver's seat? She's in the caboose, if anything. I mean, if I had to trust any keyboard instrument to drive me anywhere, it'd probably be the harpsichord, though, because she's pretty even. She's not going to vary in sound or tone. She's not getting drunk. That's sexy. Now I know what Tori meant when she said the sexiest thing is trust. You would trust her to drive. I would trust her to drive. <laughs> and finally, why don't you read this from Videotech UK, November 25th, 1999. One of the tracks on the album is all about the 80s, going back to the 80s. Do you look back on the time with fondness? Do you have any special memories and what were the highlights for you? She's like, I put them in the song. Did you read the lyrics? <laughs> Here you go. And Tori says, I lived in L.A. in the 80s. For almost all of the 80s, I was there. And, you know, I would wake up and go down to retail slut and get a cute little piece. And it was very much a time where decadence was a beautiful thing. Everybody wasn't maybe saying the right thing or eating the right thing. But I think people, although they were kind of excessive, there was more honesty about their monsters. And now in L.A., what I find is everybody orders the right thing. You know, it's supposedly environmentally friendly. But then, you know, they go shit on each other. And I see it all the time. You know, it's this cocktail spirituality. You go to yoga class on the weekend and then they stab you in the back in the club that night. And I just, I have a real hard time with that. Kind of like you can clock in and clock out. She doesn't work like that. So yeah, I do miss the hedonism. I miss the hedonism too. Uh, but she misses the hedonism primarily, well, it was fun, but it was also more honest, I guess she's saying, right? Yeah. Just kind of like what we were saying before, people were their their actual authentic selves rather than hiding behind yoga and champ champagne spirituality, to quote a famous musician I know. Yes. Things were performative in the 80s in a totally different way, <laughs> where people weren't trying to obscure the fact that it was a performance. When you pile your hair up to the ceiling, <laughs> yeah, that's a different kind of performative behavior that isn't like going to yoga with your little cute tote, hoping people see you. Agreed. Although, I'm not going to complain if they look in <laughs> <laughs> my leggings. I'm not going to complain if I feel their eyes moving over this body. I would love to talk about retail slut... For a brief moment, okay. Retail Slut was owned by Helen O'Neill. There's an article that we'll link to in our show notes, songsoftramus.com, called Retail Slut Revisited, Melrose's Underground Fashion Haven Returns. Isn't that exciting? Ooh. And that was in October 2011. Weirdos, outcasts, punks, goths, queens, new wavers, new ravers, and fashion music eccentrics didn't have the vast array of options they do today in terms of style and self-expression. The internet only became a place to shop sometime around 1994, and department and mall stores rarely reflected what was happening in the streets. In the U.S., if you wanted the dramatic, edgy looks you saw in rock mags and zines, you had to make them yourself or travel to London. 
until retail slut came on the scene, that is. The quirky boutique epitomized the irreverence and rebellion that made us all want to go to Melrose in the 80s and 90s and ultimately helped make the Avenue world famous. Overexposure, remember Melrose Place? And exorbitant rent hikes signaled its decline, but it's safe to say the internet killed what was once a very magical place. Save for a few sneaker shops and vintage stores, the Avenue has lost the pizzazz of the past. Still... For those of us who frequented the street turned shopping mecca, a drive down the stretch between La Brea and Fairfax is not without formative and fabulous flashbacks. The address for a retail slut was 7308 Melrose. You want to know what's there now? What? It is the home of Gallery 1988, which itself is a high-end art gallery, which is right next to the Groundlings. How things have changed. This is so appropriate. I love that Retail Slut is now Gallery 1988. It seems to be very uh, 80s Super Mario Brothers themed. Oh. Oh. It all comes full circle. (laughs) It sure does. I bought my first copy of YKTR original vinyl on Melrose in 1996. How about that? Oh, look at you. Yeah. She loved to spend cash. At a store called Vinyl Fetish. Oh, Retail Slut, Vinyl Fetish, all these horny stores. Melrose was so horny. Why don't we get into the line by line? Okay. Speaking of horny. Let's do some lines. Everyone else was. I took a taxi from LA to Venus in 1985. I can only imagine how expensive that was. (laughs) So it turns out if you take a taxi cab in Los Angeles through LA City Cab, your first ninth of a mile is $2.85, and each additional ninth of a mile is 30 cents. So knowing that Venus lies 162 million miles away from Earth, according to space.com, and we'll just say they calculated that distance from Los Angeles, 162 million miles, I calculated 161,999,999.888, which is eight ninths of a mile, because remember that first ninth of a mile is inflated. I calculated 161,999,999.888 times $2.70 because it's 30 cents for every ninth of a mile, which is 270 per mile. But don't forget, you have to add that $2.85 for the inflated first ninth of a mile. So the actual total of the cab ride is $437,400,002.55. Assuming you could find a cab driver that knew how to get to Venus without like accidentally taking you to another planet first. Now let's adjust for inflation. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, David, because I did do that as well. So if in 2022, I purchased an item for $437,400,002.55, then in the year 1985, that same item would cost a mere $158,852,692.34. So you're actually saving a pretty penny by doing it in 1985, by actually teleporting back first and then taking the cab to venus it's true and also tori was the jeff bezos of her time oh she really was yeah why because he went to space oh you're like she sure was why was she she's the jeff bezos of any time she is she's the everybody of her time mm-hmm. what is this line i think that this just is a conceit to get her back to la I guess, is she saying that being in Los Angeles in 1985 was almost like being on another planet? 
Interesting. That's a good way of saying it. I like that. Or that just sort of encapsulates the decadence of it. It was like a rocket ship to Venus. That's how wild the 80s were. I've always looked at it as, yeah, a rocket ship, like back in time, though. Like her just starting to like think about going back. I did too, but she says she did it in 1985. Not I took a taxi from LA to Venus and got to 1985. I don't know, but I see what you're saying. But because of the next line... I always just saw this as like she's entering a time machine. She's going back in time to 1985. It was electromagnetically sucked back into a party going on that night. This is where the time travel comes in. I feel like this is how she's sort of going back to that period. Electromagnetically. Electromagnetically. Sucked back. Whoosh. Not unlike those tubes at the bank. That was my first thought too. I guess you're right because it's not I took a taxi from Venus to LA or from where I am now to LA. I'm going back in time. It's that when I was in LA, I took a rocket ship to the stars, probably because of the drugs. Mm-hmm. It was the glories of the 80s with karma drawn up in lines. Cocaine. Must be, right? China white. So is that the marriage of opposites, the decadence and the spirituality that she was talking about? Karma drawn up in lines? Oh, yeah. Instead of calling it cocaine drawn up in lines, she's calling it karma. I mm, love it. Mm-hmm. We go into this party, you bring in your friend Karma. I wonder if cocaine was ever called Karma in the 80s. (laughs) It was called Carmine. I had to look it up. A list of slang names for cocaine. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm certainly not just listing these off from my memory. No, you know them all. Common slang terms for cocaine include blow, bump, C, big C, coke, crack, dust, flake, line, nose candy, pearl, rail, snow, sneeze, sniff, speedball, toot, white rock, tornado, snow, coke, sleet, scrabble, rocks, purple caps, nuggets, jelly beans, hard rock, hail, grit, gravel, dice, cookies, chemical candy, black rock, boy girl, candy flipping, cocoa puffs, flamethrowers, space ball, speedball, woo woo, woolies, but no karma. Did you say toot? <laughs> yeah, toot was for cocaine. Some of right. those were like an LSD cocaine mixture, you know. Oh my god, was Tootie from the Facts of Life a coke fiend? Probably. Calm down, Tootie. Sup, Tootie? It was the 80s. Yeah. It was the 80s. She was on her roller skates all the time. She was so high. <laughs> I also think calling it karma just takes us right back to the 80s. It feels to me like, you know, and I may or may not have been born in the 80s, but yeah. it seems to me that there was an obsession with karma, like karma chameleon and the new age spirituality boost. And it just felt like everybody was talking about karma. Like not only was the cocaine drawn up in lines, but so was your karma, honey. And two bugle boy models saying, baby, it's a freebie, you sure look deprived. So Mm. obviously these are those two underwear models coming into the song, giving her free cocaine or free sex. Yes. Well, you made the right choice, Eve, to not go home with a bugle boy model. I told you. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever as it seems. No boogie woogie for you. Absolutely not. Not with a bugle boy model. I had the story of O in my bucket seat of my wannabe Mustang. Is that erotica? Romance. Story of O is an erotic novel published in 1954 by French author Anne Desclos under the pen name Pauline Réage and published in French by Jean-Jacques Pauvert or Jean-Jacques Pervert. 
Declo did not reveal herself as the author for 40 years after the initial publication. Declo stated she wrote the novel as a series of love letters to her lover Jean Paulion, who had admired the work of the Marquis de Sade. The novel shares with the latter themes such as love, dominance, and submission. Mm. She was exploring her kink side. Tori talked a lot in this era about liking like trashy bodice ripping romance novels and erotica. So here you go. Mm-hmm. She's like Jean Georges. I'm a very horny girl. Jean Pelvert, Marquis d'Essal, <laughs> Marie de la Mer. Oof. I love that she's just traveling around with this dirty novel in the front seat of her car. <laughs> Do you think she ever read it or she thought it looked cool so that someone glanced in her window or got in her car? They were like, oh my God, story of O. People used to read while they drove, like in traffic jams. Yes. They would have the paper. They would have a magazine. Remember this? They didn't, they weren't able to text. People were always bored in traffic. <laughs> bored and horny. Still are. Story This seems to me just kind of like free association, you know, honestly, like things that remind her of the 80s, like if she's having this flashback to the 80s, whether it's like time travel or just this memory, you know, the first things that come up to her, the bucket seats of her car, the story of O, which she read. And I can only assume my knowledge of the 80s, you know, barely having been born at the tail end, my knowledge of the 80s comes from mostly this song. (laughs) Like what... (laughs) What was the pinnacle of the 80s? Like, what was standout? Like, the story about, I never heard of that before this song. And so I can only assume, and karma, I can only assume that that's what everybody was into. That that she's talking about things that, like, everybody did. And that's what makes the song great. That's what makes this, like, a whirlwind back to the time. Auditioning for reptiles in their Auditioning for reptiles in their Raquel Welsh campaign. Oh my God, we need to refer people to this very commercial in which she appears. She does appear in a Crystal Light commercial that stars Raquel Welsh, and she's in the background and she almost got fired. Let's mm. listen to this audio clip. This is a little bit from Rolling Stone, June 25th, 1998, and it just talks about her auditioning life. It says, how low can you go? How about, quote, not quite getting it together to audition as a keyboard player for Billy Idol? Feeling genuine elation that you managed to edge out the then-unknown Sarah Jessica Parker for a Cornflakes Girl commercial? Not mythically low enough? Try working as an extra on a Raquel Welch commercial for Crystal Light and being told by the director that, quote, Miss Welch would like you to tone it down, please. And if you watch the video, honestly, she is, uh, she's kind of killing it. She's a vibe. Isn't that wild? Do you think anyone in the 80s accidentally snorted their Crystal Light powder? Or intentionally? I'm sure someone tried it to be funny, yeah. Have you ever had Crystal Light? I love Crystal Light. I've had it recently. <laughs> what flavor? Raspberry. If you had to choose between Crystal Light and Crystal Bernard, what would you choose? Right, Crystal Light. I don't like Crystal Bernard. Okay. I could keep her off my 80s time capsule. Rightfully so. She has talked a lot about how everybody was looking for the next Raquel Welsh, and Raquel Welsh was a really popular actress at the time. I think this kind of hints, too, that everybody was trying to, like, make her into something that she wasn't, and that she was auditioning for snakes or, like, really scuzzy guys. Mm-hmm. That were just looking to like sex her up. Ugh, straight suits, they don't even understand. It was just like fitting into the Raquel Welsh box. Everybody had to be a carbon copy. When you were auditioning, you felt like you had to fill a role or be someone else. Yes, I agree. The glories of the 80s, you said, I'm not afraid to die. That's, I think you as everybody. We all said, I'm not afraid to die. Mm. Whatever happens, happens. I said, 
I said, I don't find that remotely funny, even on the space cake high. This is like just a druggy conversation, it feels like. Yeah. People sitting around in a group high, and someone's like, I'm not even afraid to die. I don't find that remotely funny. It's like, I don't find that funny. She's like, I may be high, but I'm still not going to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Tori has a stoner laugh? You know how like people had stoner laughs? Is that a stoner laugh? Yeah. <laughs> when people get really high. That's what she does. I said, I don't find that this is from Studio Brussels, Belgium, November 3rd, 1999. The interviewer says, you thank a certain fairy for making space cakes in the booklet of To Venus and Back. And she says, uh, yes, <laughs> always. And they say, well, it's legal in Belgium, so we can talk about it. And Tori says, oh, good. Okay, good. It went down really well in Cornwall. We had them about every, uh, I don't know, every couple of weeks there was a space cake night. And the interviewer asks, and did you record after eating the space cakes? And she says, <laughs> can't do anything after eating a space cake. Certainly not find anything remotely funny. Then when it all seemed clear, just then you go and disappear. She's talking to the decade, right? It's like a love song to the decade. Yeah. The thing about these lyrics is that they're all on the page. <laughs> There's not really a lot of metaphor going on here. And that's what I appreciate about Alanis Morissette. I feel like this is one of the first instances of this in Tori's songwriting, where it was so clear and so on the page. It definitely felt like a shift, not only like with the subject matter that she was exploring and her sort of willingness to speak fondly of the era, but the kind of simplicity with which she did it. Yeah. I would liken this song as an heir to the throne that Humpty Dumpty created. Oh. <laughs> we went walking. We got a radio. Betty Louise got some cheese. Well, that's what it takes to be queen. <laughs> Silicone party Barbies to the left and Joan of Arcs to the right. What I like about this image is that we were all there together. <laughs> you got the big boobed silicone party Barbies and then you got the prudes all by the punch. Oh, is that you consider Joan of Arc a prude? Oh, come on. She wore chain metal. She wore like completely covered in armor. <laughs> Don't look at my silicone party Barbies. But she was a warrior. <laughs> Joan of Arc is also a song by seminal 80s band OMD. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I do know that song. You don't think she was a prude? You think she's saying like warriors and the whores? I don't like labeling people prudes when they have bigger concerns than losing their virginity. Like what? What are her concerns? Like <laughs> she was fighting a battle. It's like you expect her to also have like an amazing first sexual encounter at the same time. She chose, <laughs> I didn't expect she that. I didn't choice. even bring that up. I didn't bring up Joan of Arc's sex life. It's like when I was in high school and I was just trying to graduate, I was like not having sex because of that. You're like, God, David, stop trying to get your diploma. Stop being such a prude. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm in the honor society. Hey, so was I. Hey, I was on the dean's list in <laughs> well, college as well. you're just capable of more than I am. We knew that. No one feeling insecure. We were all gorge and famous in our last lives. I fail to believe. I find it hard to believe that there was ever a time and place when no one was insecure. Everyone's always insecure all the time. 
It's not just me, right? Oh, God. Hello, hello, are you there? <laughs> I love that looking back on the 80s, it was just such a magical time, or at least Tori is like creating this magical image. Oh, everybody was, you know, we didn't have to worry about feeling insecure because whether in this life or the last, we were all gorge and famous. Everybody had something to brag about. And that is calling to mind just, again, that new age spirituality or that karma that everybody was kind of kooky and she's wishing for an easier kookier time the glories of the 80s you said the end is nothing to fear Mm, god is this the same person who's not afraid to die yeah i think that it's the continuation of that same conversation at the same party and i love it said blow the end now baby who do i gotta shag to get out of here what does that mean blow the end now baby because she said the end is nothing to fear if he's saying the end is nothing to fear she said blow the end like fuck the end i'm not looking at the end i'm looking at the moment who do i gotta shag to get out of here this conversation this party this moment who do i gotta shag to get out of this party no one says blow anything as like she has though as a substitute for a fuck off yeah, or fuck something absolutely that's why i feel like i know what she's saying here because i've heard really? her say blow that yeah I can, i'll try to find a quote I'm trying, trying to, like yeah, a, I'm trying to think of an instance of that where it wouldn't just sound like, uh, blow Donald Trump. Like, no, no, thank you. Blow that. Blow that. But it doesn't seem like she likes this party. She's saying, I don't find that remotely funny. And who do I got to shag to get out of here? Who invited this woman? They were <laughs> all saying. <laughs> but it seems like she's transporting herself back to those parties that she talked about in 1992, where she said, I'd be at a party and I'd want to kill this babe. You know, where she's like stabbing her fork into her thigh. Mm. I'll start screaming at people at parties. I would anyway, like years ago. I'd want to kill this babe. You know all those times that she talked about that? Yeah. And those babes with like razor blades in their anal force underwear. Yeah. And having to excavate why she didn't why she was feeling so violent and so rageful this is this is rageful tori Mm. blow the end who do i gotta shag to get out of here shag means have sex with yes you know tori had just seen austin powers too and she was like venus baby then when it all seemed clear just then you go and disappear i hate that feeling too which is like finally something clicks you're finally able to like get it together and then it just is over Mm. you wish you had just dove in from the beginning does this feel like a relationship it does yeah like someone who's kind of keeping you in limbo and just when you think you figured out what their feelings are for you and they're like oh no this is real then they ghost you yeah and then that pairs really nicely with the next line out there orbiting around wish i had you back now Mm -hmm. because obviously i feel like a case can be made that she's singing to the decade and i like that if she's singing to the decade that her perception of time is that it's all happening simultaneously sure you're out there orbiting around like the 80s are still existing somewhere Mm -hmm. right It's shocking to me how often on the show, Tori's lyrics have given us the opportunity to explore the theory that time is not linear. Yeah. It comes up more often than you would think. I met a drag king called Venus. She had a velvet hologram. 
I'm going to say this was a different time and there was a different discourse around the idea. So she does misgender the drag king because if he is a drag king called Venus, he had a velvet hologram, right? Right. So maybe she's having this conversation with the drag king like out of performance. Oh, okay. I met a drag king called Venus. Maybe this is just a journey to the drag king's house and back. Mm. This whole album takes place in the blink of an eye at this party. What is a velvet hologram? Why does this drag king have a hologram to begin with? Well, I looked up velvet hologram just because I wasn't sure. And I found a holographic velvet fabric. Mm-hmm. It just didn't fit the rhyme scheme. And it's you really know? just a textile. For me, it calls to mind those like 80s niche art pieces. They were done in velvet. My mom had one of Elvis on the living room wall. It recalls the velvet of those fabric paintings, but also the hologram nature of like the Garbage Pail Kids cards, or there was like cards that were holograms. So like the velvet hologram, even though I think it just sounds good together, maybe that's why she did it. I feel like it does recall the 80s in a weird way. Yeah. husband ran off with my shaman but they love me as i am towards coming with jokes is that a joke i mean it's a not it's like a funny haha joke but it's like it's i read that bumper sticker do you know that 80s bumper sticker that's uh, my dad used to have on his truck that's how i know it and it said my wife ran off with my best friend and i sure do miss him <laughs> <laughs> no i've never seen that you don't before. know that bumper sticker no i swear to god that is a popular bumper sticker i've seen it many times my wife ran off with my best friend and i sure do miss him hmm. you get it <laughs> My husband ran off with my shaman, but they love me as I am. Who is the they? They, the husband and the shaman. They ran off together, but they love me as I am because it's a spiritual time. Okay. It's a joke. Well, I don't find it remotely funny, but maybe that's because I don't understand it. Maybe it's because you're not on a space cake high. I'm definitely not. What do you mean you don't understand it? How is this? Where's the punchline? What is this phrase saying? Like, oh my God, isn't it funny that my husband ran off with my shaman? But they still love, like what? They love me as I am because a shaman is supposed to be spiritual. A shaman's not supposed to be stealing your husband. And they love me as I am. Who said spiritual people can't be spouse stealers? A shaman is supposed to be a healer, not a, a herder. You're putting the man in shaman. Putting the ha in shaman. <laughs> You're right about that. It's a joke. Along the lines of no one feeling insecure, we were all gorgeous and famous in our last lives. Like, there was nothing to worry about. And even though my husband ran off with my shaman, they love me as I am. And that's what really matters because it's the 80s and being spiritually well matters. And even though they're technically problematic people because they ran off with each other, my shaman ran off with my husband, they're still doling out the rhetoric of the time. I love you as you are. That's the joke. Mm, mm-hmm. Glories of the 80s, I may not have to die. I'll clone myself like that blonde chick that sings Betty Davis eyes. I feel like that's kind of rude. You think Tori would like being referred to as that redheaded chick who sings that song about cornflakes? Yeah, I do think so. <laughs> that she would like that? Yeah, I think she'd love to be part of the cultural vernacular of the 90s forever and ever. Mm, okay. You don't think? But it's like, I have a name and it is Kim Carnes. But that just didn't fit. I may not have to die. I'll clone myself like Kim Carnes that sings Betty Davis. Well, I guess it would have fit. Did Kim Carnes clone herself? No, she's. I interpret this line as that she 
Tori, won't die because she'll clone herself to be that blonde chick that sings Betty Davis eyes. Like, and that's why it's maybe not Kim Carnes and maybe why we're not saying Kim Carnes because Kim Carnes is a very specific person, but that blonde chick refers to Raquel Welsh campaign. I'll make myself like that person, just like every other blonde chick that they're all looking for. Right? Okay, I got too caught up in the science of cloning, I think. <laughs> oh, I'll clone myself like that blonde chick. Not like literally cloning, but like I'll make myself be that if I'm going to get like a record contract. I see. And I feel like her use of the word clone kind of fits with like the spaciness of Venus, right? It's like yeah, sort of yeah, sci-fi. Sure. And cloning was a big deal in 1999, by the way. It was a big cultural topic. It was. Remember that sheep? The sheep, but also like one of my favorite plays, A Number by Carol Churchill was written right around that time about cloning. It was Cloning was a big topic. <laughs> Then when it all seems clear, just then you go and... And what? She trails off. And what? Her vision gets hazy. I love when something just does it instead of says it, you know? Instead of saying disappear, she just trails off and just doesn't say it. Oh my gosh, the word itself disappears. It's high Mm -hmm. concept. out there orbiting around wish i had you back now she loves the 80s wish i had you back now you think it's the 80s or is she singing kind of to the friends from that time that she's lost contact with oh both maybe i love it it didn't occur to me to the friends i've always heard her singing this to the 80s but i like that to the people Mm -hmm. to the time to just the fun to that party to tootie yes to tootie (laughs) i bet we could find out exactly what day she's singing about just give me a moment so i can look up the live aid event (laughs) because obviously this party was what you know july 13th 1985 oh my god 85 obviously she's singing about july 13th 1985 (laughs) you nailed it thank you saturday it was a saturday of course there was a party going on that night Mm. But you want to hear some other things that happened on July 13th, 1985, since we're here. Yeah. July 13th, 1985 is the 194th day of the year, 1985, in the Gregorian calendar. When this day started, 8,167,680 minutes had elapsed since midnight of January 1st, 1970. Wild, right? Tell me more. Vice President George H.W. Bush became the acting president for the day when President Ronald Reagan underwent surgery to remove polyps from his colon. (laughs) Wow. George H.W. Bush was president that day during Live Aid. You know who was born then? Who? Guillermo Ochoa, a Mexican footballer, Hmm. born in 1985. And the Live Aid Benefit concert took place in London and Philadelphia, as well as other venues such as Sydney and Moscow. What a time to be alive. Sure was. <laughs> I'm going to find someone who's born July 13th, 1985 to talk to us about it. I am looking for set lists from any Tory shows on July 13th. 1985. 1985. <laughs> I haven't found one so far. There hasn't been a tour day. Oh, five, I think. No. But she skips. Wow. She was in Oakland and San Jose, July 12th and 14th. But yeah, she keeps skipping the 13th. You think that's a holiday for her where she does cocaine and celebrates Live Aid every year? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and you can oh, wait, I found one under the pink, but there's no set list. Oakland, abnormally attracted to sin. <laughs> nah, this reveals nothing. <laughs> 
took a taxi from LA to Venus in 1985. This supports to me the idea that it's all circular and that it like ends as it began. 1980, 1985. What do you think? Yes. But it's also like the end of this reverie to me too. Oh, it's the end of an era. Yeah. But it's out there orbiting around. And putting it to bed. It'll always be out there orbiting around. The 80s are always there for you. What is your favorite lyrical moment? I think I was electromagnetically like back into a party going on that night. Oh. Why do you like that? I just like the idea of Tori revisiting her past and sort of seeing it through the lens of kind of like the science and technology and space travel of Venus. Like she was choosing to incorporate elements of that throughout the album. I don't know. I just like the idea of her. I can picture her like getting pulled back through like this time warp and walking out into 1985. Can I come too? What's your favorite lyrical moment? Thank you for asking. My favorite is sure you're out there orbiting around. Wish I had you back now. Yeah, you're right. That's nice. Thank you. I didn't write it, though. It speaks about time being sort of like montage idea, nonlinear, and I like that a lot. Mm. <laughs> What's your favorite vocal performance? I guess it's a tie between kind of like the high, sure you're out there orbiting around, but also the same as my lyrical moment. I like the way the words run together and she sings, I was electromagnetically about into a party going on that night. <laughs> I love that. It makes me happy. I would say the same. I like the way the words run together in blow the end. Now, baby, who do I got to that part? Mm -hmm. I love that. It's almost like a rap. It's almost like faith. Faith. Where she chooses to breathe is always really interesting. Mm -hmm. I love it. Who would you cast as Glory of the 80s in the film version of To Venus and Back? Oh, my God. Joan Collins. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Just snorting a bump. Yes. Off a well-manicured fingernail. Slapping people. Yes. My husband ran off with my shaman. Slap. I don't find that remotely funny, smack. You know, we talked about Crystal Light earlier, and it just didn't occur to me that they got Linda Evans to spokesperson for Crystal Light because her name was Crystal on Dynasty, and this was Crystal Light. Should we talk about other famous crystals of the 80s? Crystal Bernard, for example? Uh-uh. No. No? So, okay. I would actually, in a feat of casting, cast two actresses to play Glory of the 80s. Mm. It would be like a psychodrama, and it would be Jamie Gertz and Mia Sarah. Oh. Sloan Peterson from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Jamie Gertz, who also played Bootsy St. Clair on The Facts of Life. Yes, but Jamie Gertz from the Lost Boys era with the hair. Of course. You know, dancing like the sexy dance that she did. Oh my gosh, she was so bohemian in that movie. Should we get into the Yanta version? Yeah, we should. Let's find, we'll find that harpsichord. Off the bat, we get harpsichord. Not unlike Tallulah. That's so interesting because to me on Boys for Pele, Tallulah is the outlier for how she plays harpsichord. You've got Blood Roses, Professional Widow, Caudalite Sneeze even, even a little of Voodoo, even Walk to Dublin and Sucker. They're all hard. Tallulah is more light. Mm -hmm. I'm shocked to hear so much harpsichord. 
I don't know why. Have I never listened to this song before? I can't tell what kind of liberties Yanta takes because it's so buried. Like, he might be embellishing. Is she really playing harpsichord throughout the entire song? Maybe. Yanta knows best. I've truly never known Yanta to embellish. Like, mm. even in things that are super buried, when you finally hear it, you're like, oh my god, that's exactly accurate. Mm. And his timings, when I put episodes together, the timings are always identical. That's incredible. Yes. It's got to be heavily filtered, or it is. Like, not only is it buried, but I feel like it has effects on it. It's not just straight up harpsichord, yeah. Is there literally no piano on this? Which is funny because we have a quote where she says, I cut it live with the piano. Maybe in the bridge. a hard time sort of picking a place in the song like orienting myself <laughs> yeah. it's really just kind of driving and her vocal carries the melody right absolutely like this is <laughs> this could be anything <laughs> this could be Chopin like are we sure this isn't Tallulah <laughs> are we sure this isn't this could Mozart? be Chopin <laughs> I love it boom bum boom bum boom bum boom bum boom bum boom bum boom this is relentless. It really is. I feel like it's very, uh, Peanuts. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. yeah, you're right. <laughs> Vince Guaraldi, here we go again. Oh, it's over. Oh. <laughs> well, as always, you can support Yanta by going to patreon.com slash Yanta. If you like sheet music, if you love sheet music, in fact, you can head over to figuratoryout.com, figuratoryout.com. That's our friend Paul Roy's website. He's compiled over 20 years of sheet music from the Yahoo group, Figuratory Out, and you can download different versions, play it. You have to be a member to get the sheet music, but it's free to be a member. So go there right now, figuratoryout.com. What was your favorite musical moment? I really love the way you say that, by the way. If you like sheet music, you're like, if you like sheet music, you perv. Go to Figuratory Out. <laughs> do you like sheet cake or do you like sheet music? Because if you like sheet music, I got a website for you. Password protected. If you like sheet cake, stay out of my fridge. My favorite musical moment is the driving relentless circularity of the entire song. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite musical moment is the yeah. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I love it. It just signals so much to me. Mm-hmm. Would you liken that to like the symbols at the beginning of Space Dog? 
advanced. Yeah. I mean, like, in terms of, like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Get in. It's what like about? closing the car door, like, starting the engine. It's like, this car is headed to Venus. Yep. I love it. Follow that car. You get in your taxi, and you're like, follow Kim Carnes. She's on her way to Venus. We're going after her. Speaking of Kim Carnes, Oliver, roll Betty Davis eyes. I love Betty Davis eyes. Her hair is hollow gold. Her lips sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold. She's got Betty Davis eyes. She'll turn her music on you. You won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow. She got Betty Davis eyes And she tease you She'll unease you Her better just to please you She's precocious And she knows just what it takes to make a pro blush She got credit gobble Stand off size She's got Betty Davis Can I just add one thing really quick? Yes. To the Glory of the 80s video is coming out, and this director oh, said to me, he goes, he's French, so I'll do his accent all wrong, but uh-huh. I have this idea. And I said, okay. Would it be Stephen Sednawi? No, 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 okay, no. Yeah. I'm Eric Kifigan. Okay. And he comes up and he goes, um, so I see you in a torture chamber, futuristic. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. He goes, no 80s reference. <laughs> And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. And he goes, so you're hooked. Yeah. And I'm like that. And uh, like a modern Joan of Arc, but mm, strange. Like (laughs) sexual we. And he's going on and on. And he goes, and you will morph into these different creatures. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. That's when you call for security usually. So I'm in this torture chamber um, that is supposed to be quite fashionable I guess yeah. in his mind uh-huh. and there you have the French the French <laughs> are you actually going along with uh, oh, it's this done. guy's idea it's, it's, oh, it's canned it's how fun. was it did he hang you from the torture chamber oh yes oh. <laughs> was it pleasurable at least like well was it a good experience fascinating because there's something very um, metallic about the whole thing you know everything okay. is you're in wires and I'm in this glam um, dress. Oh, yeah. But the 80s were about, like, wires and... And black lipstick mm. by Kevin O'Quinn. Ah. Very, very new wave. You know. Very new wave. Very Robert Smith in a way. Yeah. yeah. The video for Glory of the 80s was directed by Eric Ifrigan and shot in September 99 in Los Angeles at Universal Studios and later aired on MTV Europe. It was also a uh, surprise on the concertina single. It was, like, embedded in the single. You could watch the video on your computer. The video features Amos in goth attire and makeup trapped in a cubicle torture chamber with heavy cable bars fastened on her dress to the frame of the cage. Throughout the video, a shuriken is seen randomly but consistently flying around, slashing the cables, eventually freeing Amos from her prison. That's like the ninja star? Yeah, the little star. She is also seen sprouting black wings and shape-shifting into various forms, including a raven. What do you think of this video before we talk to Eric? Yes, I would love to know how the concept came about. Me too. I like that it's not literal in any way. Nothing about it says 80s to me. Right. Not even like her styling, really. 
I will say I'm not a purveyor of the Kate Bush comparison at all, but this does remind me of the one video that Kate, I don't even know the song because all I remember are that like still images of her like flying in the air in the black winged costume. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can picture what you're talking about. I didn't know that was from a video though. I thought it was just the album art. Oh, maybe, maybe. Do you think this video is in any way reminiscent of UK Cornflake Girl? Yes. She's flying through the air and she has ill-fitting sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> Why do people always want to make her fly? <laughs> no, they either want to make her fly or twins or be flying twins. Oh, uh, you know what we needed was a twins video from Strange Little Girls. Heart of Gold twins. I'm still mad about that because they couldn't have looked more different. <laughs> they were supposed to be twins. Ugh. The shirt made them twins. It's true. Yeah. Twins love dressing alike when they're not children anymore. I want my MTV. We are thrilled to have on the line Eric Efergen. He directed the Glory of the 80s music video, and he's here today to talk about it. Hi, Eric. Hi, Efrain. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you officially. Okay, first I want to get into a little bit about you as an artist because your work to me is so interesting. Please talk to me about your history as an artist and how you came to music video and photography. Yeah, I started with uh, photography in the 80s and I I was um, doing um, record covers in France and just at the beginning of music video in, in the 1985, I was asked to direct my first music video. And a few years later, I won a few awards and it was a big deal. So the company called Limelight started to get interested in me and called me to, to go direct music videos in, uh, in London. Soon enough, they realized that the American market was much more interested in me than the English. And they called me to go to Los Angeles and I started, um, I started directing you know, music videos in, in, in L.A. When you approach a music video, do you have a specific way you work or do you just let the song speak to you? What is your artist's philosophy in terms of approaching like video work? I try not to illustrate the words of the song too much, but much more the spirit of the song, the music. And I work in, uh, in metaphor, in, some, in, in images, you know, basically, because I come from photography and this language was a new a new language when, when I started, actually, because the first music video director were more like uh, telling stories, like little short films, you know, which allows the people to actually see the video many more times. You know, if it's a story, you see it one time, you see it two times, and then you get bored of it. If it's images, and if it's more like a, a stream of consciousness, you're more allowed to dream and to give your own meaning to the song, you know. So that was what I was uh, good at at the time. And I was more like uh, metaphorically illustrating the music. That makes so much sense to me when I'm thinking about your work that I've seen that totally tracks. Now, how did you get involved with Tori Amos? You're in L.A. Take us up to 1999, where you are in your career, how that happened. Uh, 1999, I'm, I'm already like um, making a lot of um, commercial campaigns and I have stopped. I haven't done many, many music videos at the time because I was busy making, making commercials. But um, between, uh, you know, I moved to L.A. in 1990 and for the nine years I worked with uh, Artists like Isaac Hayes, uh, Rod Stewart, uh, Sean Colvin, or the other people. And uh, 1999, it was one of my last music videos, really. But I was a fan of 
of Tori Amos and when uh, when when the company asked me to to direct that I was very happy to meet her and to work with her. A Thousand Oceans came first and we'll talk about that on a different episode but Glory of the 80s is so interesting to me because it is an anomaly in her career. It is unlike any other video I've ever seen as well. What inspired you about the song and talk to us through your process what your idea was or how you came up with this idea. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm a bad, I'm a bad uh, student because I didn't even look at the video. Uh, <laughs> That's funny because I have watched it numerous times in the last few days. So it's as impenetrable to me now as it was then. But you're so right. When you work in metaphor like that, it just demands repeated viewing. You know, yeah. and so she's trapped in this see-through glass structure. She's chained. She's tied up, like suspended. There's this throwing star sort of kind of cutting the cables on her dress throughout the whole video while she morphs into like a raven and a wolf at a certain point, a baby. Um, yeah, I think the generic team I was trying to develop was kind of undoing your change, you know, liberating from something that is basically limiting you. So yeah. and I had this idea of, uh, of a dress, very, very long dress and her being, uh, being tied up and kind of uh, giving her the liberation. <laughs> I'm so sorry, this, this music video is... You know, I did the two, the, 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 the Southern Ocean uh-huh. for me is, is like the, the number one video that I have done in my, in my career. Uh-huh. I, love, I love this video because uh, I can talk for a long time about it. But this one, for some reason, it's just completely erased from my memory. <laughs> Do you recall what the shoot day was like and how did you suspend her in a studio? Like what was, what do you recall about it? We shot, we shot in studio. Um, she, no, but she was amazing to work with because she has a lot of input. She's always intellectualizing everything that we we were doing. And um, if you don't mind, do you mind? Can I take a look at the video? Quickly? Oh yeah, please, absolutely. After these messages, we'll be right back. Introducing Kellogg's Just Right cereal, the perfect harmony between four wholesome grains, each one crisp and crunchy. With the sun-rich goodness of raisins, nuts, and chopped dates. Taste that's so rich in nutrition, you get 100% of 11 vitamins and minerals. New Kellogg's Just Right, the perfect harmony between taste and nutrition, with fruit or all grains. Just Right. And we're back. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Well, you know, you know how sometimes the record companies they ask you for to do a piece completely centered on the artist. Uh-huh. I think that was one of the the requests from uh, Tori and from uh, from the you know because we had a limited budget. We had one one that was a little bit more. Uh, ambitious than the other one and this one we had to do a, a piece completely centered around her and around her performance and i remember the i remember that we you know we had this idea of a modern witch you know this idea of uh, of her being trapped in a transparent box you know attached to a to the wire and then this idea of being you know let free Basic, it's a very basic idea, it's very simple, there's not much apart from the execution, you know, which is quite elegant and quite fashionable, I should say, and very conceptual, you know, in a way, because, you know, she's there and she transforms into different 
uh, a baby, an animal, you know, things like that. And then she's in the middle of this, of this flying. She's almost like the center of a piece of, of, of sculpture herself. She's almost like an art piece. Right. And voila, that's not much more than this, you know, it's, it's very simple. Is that a request that the record label often makes, is like center this video around the artist and as simple as that? Yes, many times they, they have a, an idea around, you know, the marketing idea around the record. And it's also a strategic thing because let's say, for example, they have a full amount of money and they, they want to do like one of the videos is going to cost maybe 20%, 30% of the whole budget and the other one will cost a bit more because it's more more ambitious and they have more expectation for the second video. You know? Got it. Yeah, it's unfortunately the reality of, of the work, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that you described her as an art piece, almost like a sculpture, because you are a sculptor and there is something so fashionable and elegant about her and so unique, so just like bizarre about her hanging like that. You can only describe it as an art piece. Now, how did you shoot that? We did in the studio on, on, against a green, green screen. Uh-huh. We built this structure uh, for real. The structure was real and... Uh, the wires were real, and she was standing on a ladder. <laughs> it, was not, it was not comfortable for her to to actually perform. And the dress was taking over the ladder itself, as I recall, I think. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe not a ladder, but maybe like a, a pod or some kind of, mm-hmm. a, you know, a very high uh, stand where she was standing on. The lighting was quite quite interesting, I think. And my idea was to have some some special effects. I worked with a company called Method at the time, which was one of the best. And um, we had to apply the special effect of the wings and stuff like that to our dress. And again, there was also a limitation because I was aiming to do much more than, than what we did. Meaning more special effects than what ended up in the video? Effects, yeah, more, more. What stopped that was it just budgetary? Budgetary things, yeah. Got it. I'm looking at the two videos that you did together, A Thousand Oceans, side by side with Glory of the 80s, and the theme, like it seems really clear that this idea of being watched is sort of what I gather from it. Her inside a glass box both times that you work together. Do you have any takes on that? Um, I had this The idea of the glass box was uh, an idea that I had for a long time, you know, a woman trapped inside almost like the window of a shop, you know, and watching life from the inside, looking outside. You're right, it's kind of similar to the other one. She I love it, though. I love their, like, sister videos in that way. Yeah, they are tra- she's trapped both times she's trapped. On Glory of the 80s, she's escaping. On the other one, she, she, she stays inside. So I limited myself to a performance piece, kind of cool, elegant and and you know well directed but that was kind of the the only the only thing that i wanted to do something very elegant very styly styly she's quoted as saying eric eiferkin comes to me and he goes so i see you in a torture chamber futuristic no 80s reference like a mother of joan of arc but a strange like sexual we and he's going on and he goes and you will morph into these different creatures and i'm like okay so i'm in this torture chamber that is supposed to be quite fashionable and there you have it so that's how she describes it exactly and she 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 remembers much more than me actually and (laughs) Yeah, now I recall. Now you should have told me that at the beginning. 
like a mother Joan of Arc, but like sexual. Yeah, 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 like a, a witch, you know? Yeah. A witch about to be born. That was my... Oh, that's interesting. I do love this video so much. When you look back on it, I guess it's been 22 years at this point, or 23 years now. When you look back on it, do you have any anything that strikes you right away or anything that you'd like to say about it 23 years later? It, it still stands well, I think. You know? It could be, could be done. It could have been done yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, I love that wig that she's wearing. It's like this giant mane. And when she's suspended in that wide shot at the end and she's sort of floating around, it's like this gorgeous image of her, and I love it. It reminds me of Damien Hirst's work, but Damien Hirst at the time was not even, did not even exist. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, you know, those, those squares. Also, also the reference of the square, probably from Francis Bacon. I see that for sure. I'm a big, big fan of, of, of Francis Bacon and uh, this idea of uh, one character in the middle of a very simple frame, you know? Yeah. yeah that, that's also that. Eric, thank you for being on our show. Will you come back to talk about A Thousand Oceans? I will come back right away. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Of course, that was just a small part of a longer interview, which you can find on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. Please follow Eric on Instagram. He's Eric Efergen, which we'll link to in our show notes, songsoftoriamis.com. And we'll be right back with Theta Hamill. Take me back to the good days. Take me where you want to play. I will get get up and I mean I, I'm sure Judy you did, did this too in the 80s I went to retail slut and got my skull and crossbones and tank top and yeah. before breakfast yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it was a good it's, time it's called glory of, of the, the 80s, 80s yeah. yeah so it is it's a complete look back was it, was it a good time for you good time I loved the decadence boy do I have a treat for you all listening today calling in <laughs> from what I can only assume is her gated mansion yeah. in the vast expanse of New York City we have legendary podcast icon and major trans celeb Theta Hamill hi hi Efrain it's so nice to be here so First of all, I just want to say that we were supposed to record this episode something like two and a half years ago. I know, I know. And uh, then COVID happened. So it's nice that we're finally checking this box because I got very excited to talk about this song. Tell our audience how you came to Tori. Like, give us your entire history, as it were. That's beautiful. Okay, so, like, I was not aware or cognizant enough, I think, to know. I was not, like, with Tori during peak Tori, like 90s. I was a child, but also I was not clued in. Some children are very clued in to pop radio or whatever. But when I was like in sixth grade or eighth grade or something, I really liked Amy Mann. Like, again, I'm not, this is not gloating here. I just liked Amy <laughs> Mann. I mentioned it 
to a uh, teacher and they said, you know, this reminds me of Tori Amos. And like, really nothing could be further from, that's like so dumb. Right. They're both ladies songwriters, right? But like, they could not be, like Amy Mann is not about the pussy power. She's sort of like a guy's guy. And she uh, writes these very cerebral lyric based songs. Tori is about blood and guts and fairies in the woods and icicles and uh, and magic. And Tori's more Wagnerian. Anyway, so I listened to Boys for Pele, like, at that teacher's recommendation. I was like, no thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> but then within the year, like maybe a year later, when I was a freshman in high school, I had an older lady friend. She was not a lady friend. She was a girl and we became friends. And she was like a fag hag slash sort of crush. She was like a very, she was like a real 90s gal in a weird way. Like that's when I sort of perked up. I was like, what? And you know what really, you know what really sold me on it? This is an age of Kaza and like LimeWire. Oh yeah. And so I would just go and I would, I typed her name in and I found that little BTS thing about the making of Boys for Pele where she talks about the brain, the picture mm. of the brain. Yes, like how she was trying to like convey that it was translucent. Yeah, she was like, I give the picture from National Geographic to Mark and Marcel and they, they give me this brain. And she talks about, she goes, it's like a bolt of lightning comes from far out of space and goes into my little red head. It goes into my little red head. Yeah. I was like, she's touched by God. I was very uh, like uh, new age in high school. But I was like, she really is like God is speaking to her. And I was like, I want God to speak to me the way that he speaks to Tori Amos through the piano and through the music. And so I became very obsessed with her, both because I wanted to live in her example, to learn how to play the piano with the fucking uh, left foot on the damper pedal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And also, it was that time when it was became clear that I was very gay, that I was some sort of very gay. I was in a very gay way. Right. And I think that Tori Amos, unlike almost anybody, really, anybody that I can think of in music, even though there are a lot of pretenders to the throne, nobody has more lingering, festering, flaming wounds from romantic, basically like middle school, high school crushes. Tori, I feel, lived or she did live with those early albums, like very much in this wound. And there's that line in Precious Things or whatever, you're an ugly girl, but I like the way you play. And like, I was so disgusting. I was running around after this Billy and like holding up his picture. And she tells that story, right? About somebody, her first song, like she wrote to perform at a school gathering because of some boy that rejected her or something, right? Humiliated her. Yeah, she liked him. And then he told her if she plays it in front of the whole school, he's going to punch her. Yes, yes. And did he? He ended up not punching her. <laughs> he ended up not punching her, and that's how she became the songwriter she is today. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just remember thinking, if I could embody like the goddess in musical form in this way, then the guy that I have been in love with my entire life, because I went to a K-12 school, so I had been in love with him since like second grade. Oh, wow. And I was like, if I could learn to play and embody the goddess, that then he would realize the extent of my, my Wagnerian like fury and longing. And then he would fall before my feet. Of course, that he wouldn't have. <laughs> and what I realized later is that that's a very trans impulse. It's like you can't say, 
I want to be a woman, but you can't say, I want to be the goddess and I want to talk to the cosmos. Like Tori, like Tori Amos. Amos. Yep. And I think Tori is full of trans impulses, including every, always every fucking five years finding a new shtick to wear a wig. <laughs> She's like, this time around, it's called Pip and Coco or whatever. I'm sorry that I don't remember the, the whole doll posse. How dare you? <laughs> That's trans. That's trans, you know. The way you describe it, like you've never seen a singer-songwriter live in these wounds for so long and like write from these wounds. And it just yeah. so happened to coincide, I think, when I was experiencing those wounds in high school and middle school. Exactly. Then that maybe is why it resonates so much. It never occurred to me like direct link like that. Nobody will, they will give you these days, they will give you Taylor Swift mm -hmm. going, you didn't text me back, you're a dork. <laughs> And it hurt my feelings when you cheated on me. But they will never get... Nobody but Tori will ever give you, like, the blood of it. Yeah. And make it seem like a full Lord of the Rings-style, yeah. like, operatic fury. Everybody is too cool or they're too cheesy. Mm -hmm. And some people found Tori cheesy, but I took her completely at her word. I thought she was talking to God. Mm -hmm. And guess what? She was. When you see video of the unreleased seven and a half weeks or whatever the fuck, that one where she's in that sweater. Yeah. That is the best that anyone has ever been, ever, in the history of music. And, like, um, the thing is, though, that none of this really parlays into Glories of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of blood and guts, please explain your fascination with Glory of the 80s. But it's more that I always skipped over Glory of the 80s because there was not enough blood and guts in it. Oh, yeah. It's like if you listen to, like, these big ones, like Ahi Ahi or whatever, or, or any of the big ones that are full of these shrieks, <laughs> if you listen to the first, if you listen to the, also the live disc of uh, to venus and back and to venus and back the studio recordings i'm pretty sure it's like basically my most listened to tori at this point at this moment excellent and no and i talked to like dan fishback he's like you're crazy what happened basically was that i spent so long trying to embody the blood and guts version of tori and finally it was like my voice gave out and basically also i started writing lyrics in a sort of different way i was like oh i, I actually want to sit back and be a little more sondheim and like craft lyrics in a way that are very conversational mm -hmm. whereas i feel like tori is really going with like sounds she likes the sounds of certain words like crystalline yeah <laughs> even iie like you mentioned is a song title that is just like a sound it's just a sound yeah yeah and so I took my songwriting in a sort of different direction. It's sort of Oedipal. It was like, I need to move away from this archetype and find something a little more measured that I can sort of possess more fully. And at that point, my relationship to Tori's music changed. I still burst into tears every time I even think about her on stage. But again, like when I needed to sort of put a little distance, I started to really appreciate orbiting when I got older, I just liked it because it was, it felt relaxed. And I love um, Daytura and I love, everybody loves Spring Haze, but like I love Lust. I think Lust is one of the best songs I've ever heard. I love Suede. And I have to say, even though I always skipped over it every single time, this one in my life loves Glory of the 80s because it's a funny song. It's a relaxed song and it's a genuine song. And I think there's something very poignant about it which is basically that to us, Tori Amos was a 90s girl. She was the quintessence of the 90s to me. Mm -hmm. And that was where her audience encountered her and her audience were children of the 90s. But Tori was, Tori's like moved to LA 
and her L.A. time was the A's. And the thing that this song is so deeply poignant about is that I remember there's a quote that's always stuck with me where she was like, I really think I knew what it was all about at 10. What is this quote? She's like, yeah, I had it all figured out by 11. And then by 21, I had to figure it out again. And then by 31, I had to figure it out again. And like this thing keeps happening. Like by the end of the 2010s, I had figured out how to be a young person in New York. Then two things happened. I was no longer a young person and it was no longer the 2010s. (laughs) And all the rules changed. Right when you figure them out. Yeah. Right when everything, right when it's clear, and it was not clear. You can tell that Tori is a little bit sort of like malformed socially. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it must have been hard and difficult, but she found a stick. And right when, it, right when it was sort of like clear, this is how to do my hair, this is how life is, the decade turns and everything changes and you're out on your ass. Oh. And I think there's something deeply poignant about that, especially just given that like, the premise of the song, which is one of the clearest like premises. Yeah. It's a cartoon premise, right? She's like, I got sucked into the past, like by some sort of a time machine. Yeah. And everything was just the same. I was talking to drag queens and like gay guys and they were offering me a bump. And it was glorious. Yeah. It was glorious. It might have been hell. It might have been hell at the time. But what would it be like to really just go back to even the most boring party even the most sort of tedious like vapid party and just to see those people again and talk to them this is how i feel about my my time in brooklyn drag like i was miserable i would have to get it dressed up and go out into the cold and hang around with people i didn't have anything in common with but i would give anything to just go back and just have one boring pleasant night at some sort of party And so I think that there is an extraordinary poignance and honesty here, because I do think occasionally that Tories sojourns in the realms of the fantastic are not always entirely plausible to me. And like this song is one of the rare occasions where literally because she was just trying to run out that contract, she was trying to get out of that contract. Yeah. She didn't have time to like make everything out of blood. She was just like, la di da da, I was in the 80s, it was fun and blah, blah, blah. And I just love it, Ephraim. I love it. It relaxes me, this song. You know, this is a huge insight into this because it's clearly there. I just had never really looked deeper because it is. it does seem like such a cartoon concept, as you said. So I never really yes. explored the song. Is there a moment that you can recall having like this change of thought on the song? Because you used to skip it before. Yes. I had an idea like three or four years ago that I would do like a Tory cover album where it would just be all the songs that are about food. (laughs) So I went through the entire catalog looking for food songs. And then I came upon this one again. I was like, fuck, this is great. It's like, it's a drone. It's a drone song. The harmony never shifts. It's all in major, which she never does, except for that fucking pie song. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I like, it was nice. Like when you're a child, your parents are like gods and giants. And then you have this moment of disenchantment where you go, you're just a man. You're just a woman. You're just a guy. And then you have a moment where you see your parents as human beings capable of many things. And you go, oh my God, you're actually sort of really talented and cool. (laughs) Like, in addition to being this giant or this fallen god, you're cool. And I like you and I like to hang out with you. And that's how this song makes me feel about Tori. 
Now, what is your favorite lyric in Glory of the 80s? Let's go through it here. Yes. I like that you say the taxi is the time machine, right? She, like, steps into the taxi and is electromagnetically sucked back. Sucked back into a party going on that night, which I think is funny because 1985 is not a night, it's a year. (laughs) That's true. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go through it. Yes, please. I think think the first verse is really great. Karma drawn up in lines to me is again like it toes a perfect line between being too cheeky and also being ironic. It's like yeah, people would love to talk about karma in the '80s, man, and they also love to do lines. Uh, I love the way she says the line "auditioning for reptiles," auditioning for reptiles. That's like great. You can't do better. How do you feel about the story of O? Did she talk about that here? I got the story oh, yeah. of O. I have the story of O. See, do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? <laughs> She's littered it with all of these signifiers that are genuinely funny. Yeah. This is not like Mary Jane, like the song Mary Jane. (laughs) This is like, these are genuinely funny cultural signifiers. It's like I had the story of O in my bucket seat Mm of my wannabe Mustang. Mm -hmm. I was auditioning for reptiles in their Rackdale Welsh campaign. And then you have this factoid, which she actually did. She was an arm flailing dancer. In a crystal light ad. Behind Raquel. It's on YouTube. She's like flailing behind her. Oh my God. I didn't know this factoid before I was told by the director that Miss Welch would like you to tone it down. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the line, there. I, honestly, like I'm loving all of it. I, I've always talked about, I love this line. You said, I'm not afraid to die. I said, I don't find that remotely funny, even on the space cake high. Like, I love the line, I don't find that remotely funny. Does Tori ever get that conversational? She's like, I don't find that remotely funny. And then I love, this is a great joke. Where she goes, Silicon Party Barbies to the left and Jonah Barks to the right. No one feeling insecure. We were all gorge and famous in our last lives. Again. It's like the 80s are the great neutralizer. (laughs) Yes, the 80s, back in the 80s. We were all equal. Why? Because past life regression was a big thing. And we could all have been equal in our our past lives. So Mm -hmm. we have nothing to be insecure about. Mm -hmm. The other implication there is like, what do we have to be insecure about? We were just all in our 20s. And the glory of the end is nothing to fear. I said, blow the end now, baby. Who do I got to get out of here? It's like, it's like, it's nonstop joke. (laughs) And then I think that, I think that this one is very poignant. In addition to when it, when it all seemed clear, just then you go and disappear. I'm sure you're out there orbiting around. You know, it's it's the album title. That's where orbiting comes from, the mm-hmm. title. Mm-hmm. Because the 80s are out there. They're out there somewhere. Somewhere in the universe, the 80s are still happening. Yeah, it brings up this whole, like, concurrent timelines thing, like simultaneous universes, simultaneous timelines, where the 80s are happening. We're here now. Yes, you, and, and it's comforting. It's like the alternate universe hypothesis is comforting because you go somewhere, somehow, my doggy that I love is mm-hmm. still alive or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a version like, of me out there playing with him in the 80s. Yes. And that's and it's comforting. And yeah. nothing is lost. Like nothing has been lost forever. Because the thing, too, is that these trivial details that make up a moment in culture that she's listing basically here, they're the entire moment. And they're the entirety, basically, of what gets lost. That they're never active or they're never orbiting each other in that same way ever again. They all just become weird particles in some sort of archive. And they all stop making sense. And uh, But they're the most essential thing 
to inform a moment in time are these trivial details. The, again, I'm sorry, Ephraim, but like it's all through. I met a drag queen named drag king named Venus in terms of drag king. So I don't know why she had to talk about a drag king, but except she <laughs> met one named Venus. It's the title track. She had a velvet hologram. She said, my husband ran off with my shaman, but they love me as I am. Great joke. The culture of self-help, L.A., L.A. self-help crystals. It's like, I may not have to die. I'll clone myself like that blonde chick that sings Betty Davis' eyes. I really don't understand what that means. Is that a reference to something? Yeah, she want, uh, well, I take it as like she, in order to survive in the 80s, she has to make herself out to be like the girl who said Kim Carnes. Like everybody just wants a Raquel Welch. Everybody wants a Kim Carnes. Yes, yes, yes. I think that something about the way that Tori enunciates the phrase Betty Davis' eyes mm-hmm. It's like really beautiful and velvety <laughs> and like poignant. <laughs> it's sort of like the way that she, in her cover of Rattlesnakes, the way she says Eve Marie Saint. Mm-hmm. Like she makes Eve Marie Saint sound like a magical prayer. And it's a beautiful name. It's just the way that, the way that it sits in her voice. Like, I don't know, when, when her intonation is right and her articulation is good. And it's just like... There's nothing like it, man. Yeah, there's nobody better. Nobody, 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 nobody. Okay, so where can people find you online and talk about your podcast? In terms of online, I will just say that, like, my online presence is usually not as uh, sincere and well thought out as this. I have a Twitter that is just major trans celeb. And then I think for Bandcamp, I think it's majortranscelebbandcamp.com. We'll link to all of that in our show notes, songsoftoramus.com, so find it there. But keep going. Tell us about Nympho Wars. But Nympho Wars is the show that I do with Macy Rodman. And we had, like, we did two years of, like, really intense radio drama, like, ambitious, uh, again, Wagnerian podcast. And then we sort of burned out a little bit. But now we're back with a new sort of iteration of it called KNFW, which we did six episodes of. And then we were like, we'll see how this does. And it's getting better numbers than anything we've ever done. It's not like Trump. But I, but I was like, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually doing well. But we have nothing to give them. So for the next like month, while I'm really busy on this shoot, we'll be putting a little bit of uh, sort of 10 to 15 minute stuff on that feed, which is just that they go to Nympho Wars on Apple or Spotify. And on Patreon. Support them on Patreon. InfoWars on Patreon. And the Patreon. There's Patreon. And uh, and we'll be back soon, like mid-October, with more sort of long-form stuff. And that show is like a a dream come true. Macy is like a a genius. Follow Theta at Major Transleb on Twitter and Patreon.com slash NymphoWars. Listen to NymphoWars. Everything. Theta, thank you so much for not only, A, coming on the show to talk about Glory of the 80s, but actually really bringing some great insight into the song for us. Thank you, Efrain. It's such a pleasure to talk to one who knows. Oh, same. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. That, too, was just a small part of a longer interview, which I'm excited to announce will be released shortly to our public feed. Theta Hamill talks Tori Amos. She talks a lot more Tori than what you just heard. So look for that coming soon. Follow her podcast, Nymphowars. And right now we're going to listen to a little bit of her cover of Siren. Roll it, Oliver. Fucking thing. You know I'm gonna lie. 
I'm happy to have the Y2K bug. Where you been, buddy? Where you <laughs> well, been? Uh, you know, I, I've been pretty busy. I don't know if you've been following the news there, Efren, but uh, <laughs> I've been a little busy down in Mar-a-Lago. Oh, boy. I gathered up some friends, and uh, we just we went to town down there. I have to say, I have to say, it has been a whirlwind. You know, it has just been nonstop press request. I mean, I, I'm fitting you in there, buddy, because I, uh, because I know you, but I don't know, I don't know if I can finish out the rest of this album here. I mean, uh, I have to, I might have to, I mean, I definitely want to be around for Daytona because I got some friends, uh, who like to repopulate Daytona plants, and so, uh, I have some insider scoop on, uh, on the pollen, the Datura pollen, but, uh, and I can get you some, I can get you some uh, Datura pollen if you need, but anyway, I've been real busy. <laughs> I've been so good. You know, I have seen your work down there. I have heard about it. I I didn't know that it for sure that it was you, but I'm glad. I mean, I assumed. <laughs> oh no, that's uh, that's just a special one for you there, kiddo. <laughs> don't you uh, don't you go putting that there in your podcast now. <laughs> I could be, I could get in some real trouble. Oh boy. So I really want to start unraveling your history. You know, we talked last time and you you have such an impressive resume and I really want to get into the nitty gritty because a lot of people don't know that you were really responsible. There's a series of misprints on the glory of the 80s within the glory of the 80s canon. Like there's yes, yes, the singles. Yes, yes. There's one issue where part two was... It was printed as part one, if I do recall correctly. Yeah, that was, uh, that was me. And then, of course, in Australia, all of the Everything But The Girls CD played... You know, I just love Everything But The Girls. You 
know I do. I just, I said to the head of Atlantic, I said, you know what we're going to do? Not only are we going to uh, film this Glory of the 80s video and never release it, we're never going to put it on anything official. That's what I said. I said, that is, that is the way. This is the plan. This is the, the storyline for this video. <laughs> it's never going to be released. That's the storyline. And then, I, but I also said, you know what we're going to do? I just love everything but the girl, you know. And I, I, and I miss them. You know, and I miss them. I wonder if they did. I don't know, Tracy Thorne. Oh, my goodness. She's a good gal. She, she's a good gal. Oh, boy. I said, you know, more people need to hear this record. So just uh, pop it on uh, the Glory of the 80s. You know, pop it on over there. People, they, they, we're actually doing people a favor. They wanted three songs. They paid for three songs, but we gave them 12. You know, we gave them 12 songs. Oh my God, you're just, you are a genius. You are just genius. How, how did you even come up with that? Are you just like, are you just trying to troll people? Like, were you just coming up with new ways to troll? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's not all glitz and glamour. And if I may get real with you for just a second here, I don't know if your audience, I don't know what kind of uh, listenership you got, but uh, if I could just get real, sometimes it's very hard, you know. For years after the Y2K thing, um, for like a year, I fell into a deep depression, you know, and I, no one would take my calls. No one would, uh, no one thought I was worth my fault. I, I kept reminding them that I was behind the everything but the girl situation. Also, I had a previous resume with Mr. Big, but nobody would take my calls and finally i had to chew the licensing i had to chew the license the paper the actual license for the t-shirt you know adam kissed my eve she did license that shirt turns out but they lost the license quote unquote but i really i you heard of mothballs you heard of moths Eating through your clothes while well, I eat, I eat through that license like it was fine cuisine. I ate through that license and I do it again because doing that gave me back my credibility. I made satin worship happen. So you're welcome. I it never occurred to me. Of course, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, I I really thank you for enlightening us and letting us you know in letting telling us your story you know my pleasure my pleasure sometimes people just don't know i just wanted to share that with you because it's not always peaches and cream you know it's not always cinnamon toast crunch over here it's not always a, a bug's life a bug's life is not some cartoon some disney cartoon a bug's life no, a bug's life is hard. A bug's life is complicated. You know how I many people are swat? I mean, I can't get into it, but just swatting alone. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it really just teaches us all to, like, really, we don't we don't always know everything that's going on behind a person's actions. Thank you so much for coming back. Please let the people know where they can find you online. I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, I'm just God. kidding. Oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, you're a good one, Efren. You're a good one. Good one. You are entering the AMOS Live Lounge.
Welcome back to the lounge, David. Thank you. Are we splitting cab fare for the taxi that brought us here? I redecorated for you. Describe for the listeners, please. Can't you tell? It looks like the <laughs> interior living room from the parents' house in Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, with a kitchen that you'll have to clean manically at the end. I thought you were going to say it was just like brown paneling and a lot of orange and brown furniture. Because have you seen those memes that are like people think this is what the 80s looked like and it's like Saved by the <laughs> Bell, the Max, but it really still kind of looked like the 70s and everything was brown and ugly. Mm. I haven't, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Tori Amos has performed this song a total of 33 times. Mm. which is not very many, which is why I got mad earlier when they said a staple before I I read the whole sentence. Right. Yeah. In 1999, Tori Amos performed this song on tour four times, three times during five and a half weeks, and one time during To Dallas and Back. And this is the first time she ever performed it, August 18th, 1999, in Fort Lauderdale on the opening of the Five and a Half Weeks Tour. I sure was. How was it? This is one of the few times that I've heard this song live. Is this the first time you'd ever heard a Tori song that you didn't know? Because she doesn't usually perform songs until they've been released. Right. Were there others at that show? I'm trying to remember. Yes, but this was certainly one of them when she performed a song before the album was out and we'd never heard it before. So yeah. But we were still reeling from opening the show with that new arrangement of God and then Blood Roses with the band. So it was all just wild. BR99. BR99, that's what they call it. Voodoo Prunes on the Dent says, In Glory of the 80s, she had a keyboard on top of her piano that she was playing with one hand, and the other hand was playing the boozy. It didn't sound 80s-ish, but it reminded me of Queen for some reason. Mm. Mike Y described it as, Glory of the 80s is a fun, dancey song with a Spanish-Cuban influence. Is it? Well, you know, anything with rhythm. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. I love that performance, but I prefer the performance on August 20th, 1999 in Tampa. Amber DB on the dance says, 
Glory. I only know this was the song because before she started singing, she said something about it being circa 85. The song was very upbeat with an almost YKTR feel before it began. And even during the song, she and John would look at each other and giggle. All of it is on the piano with the band. I couldn't make out most of the lyrics, though. So that is in direct contrast to what Voodoo Prune said. One hand on the keyboard, one hand on the boozy. David, clear it up for us. I don't know. I'm a little upset because Voodoo Prunes is usually so reliable. (laughs) Actually, true. I'm sorry to say I could not, for the life of me, remember what she was playing or what the band arrangement was at that first show. I question your commitment. Are we sensing any issues pulling this off live here? I kind of feel like that's why it went away. There's something difficult. Yeah, she did do it three times right at the beginning because the third performance was August 24th in Charlotte. So right at the beginning. And in that performance, she skipped the bridge. Accidentally, I guess accidentally didn't play the bridge. And then it never came back on the five and a half weeks tour. You think she got scared? Yeah. She's like, what if the bridge collapses again? I can't. I can't do it. I won't. I won't do it. (laughs) Typically, traditionally, if she doesn't get something right, she either never performs it again or performs it the very next day. God, I identify with that. The first one. I expect to do everything right the first time. And if I don't, I beat myself up and then I never go back to the well. Oh, well, Tori went back to the well on September 30th in Houston on the To Dallas and Back Tour and messed up the lyrics. I love it. It It's so cute. That's the first time I heard Glory of the 80s. And do you remember if she was playing a keyboard on top of the boozy? I could not for the life of you remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no reason we should both lose our lives. That's true. You've already put so much on the line. Mm. She performed this once as a promo on television on October 28th, 1999 on This Morning with Richard and Judy. She did it solo. Roll it, Oliver. Glories of the 80s, I'm not afraid to die. I don't find that romantic when on the space cake I am around. It all seems clear to some. Special note, apparently the Brits don't let you say shag on TV. M-I-L-X-S-H-A-X. Strange. So strange. On October 4th, 2001, she performed Glory of the 80s for the only time this tour in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was in the Encore, Hmm. and it was solo. And according to the Dent reviews, people thought it was Precious Things, so they freaked out, and you can hear it on the bootleg, they freak out, and then it's Glory of the 80s. Psych. (laughs) 
to me, it doesn't sound, I mean, looking back on it 21 years later, it does not sound anything like Precious Things, but I can see in the moment how it might have, like the fast tempo, you know? You think it was because it was an encore? There was like, this has got to be Precious. Yeah, it's got to be something Precious. PT. On Scarlet's Walk, Tori Amos performed this song four times and then two more times on the later Lot of Pianos tour. So for a total of six in 2002-2003. We got to simplify. I think someone's been saying that for a while now. Okay. John Ourzler is responsible for this request on the second leg of Scarlet's Walk when she finally did it February 21st in Jacksonville, Florida. She forgets the lyrics a little, but Danica from The Dent still describes it as fucking fantastic. Glory of the 80s was great fun and made everyone go crazy. You know, I honestly link Glory of the 80s to Taxi Ride because you have been such a proponent of both songs. Like, I link them both to you, and I link those songs together as well. Makes sense. Yeah. What is it about Glory of the 80s that drew you in? Just tell us your love story. So to be honest, when I went on tour in 2001 and did all that tour, I was really kind of like an ignoramus. I mean, I didn't know a lot of her B-sides. I didn't really know what to expect. And at the show... On that tour in Charlotte, Evans Auditorium, and she starts playing Glory of the 80s solo. And it was like a real moment for me in my fandom where I was like, oh, she can literally do anything she wants because I, it would never in a million years have occurred to me that that was a song she could do just on the piano. And I fell in love with that song hard after I saw that performance of it because it was totally recontextualized. That performance of the song is absolutely mind blowing. So it, it, kind of like that kind of moment for me, both in my fandom and me with the song. So after that tour, when she just did it that one time, I, of course, got the bootleg immediately, played it over and over and over and over again. And then I requested it as from the beginning of the Scarlet's Walk tour. I requested it the whole first leg of that tour. <laughs> she didn't do it. And then I think it was the first song she debuted on the second leg. Mm-hmm. And for years and years after that, she would refer to me as Glory John. Uh, <laughs> very similar to what we refer to you as. Glory Hole. Glory Hole. <laughs> it just became like a song that was like uh, associated with me because I requested it. It was like one of the first things she knew me as like, oh, that's the glory guy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I do think it's really an incredible live track. Like it's so much fun live with the band. And she loves playing it, I think. She's always cheesy and grinning. And so I just I just love it. Yeah. Why hasn't she ever mashed up Glory of the 80s with Taxi Ride, where I feel like she could do Taxi Ride and during the bridge of Taxi Ride, just throw in Sure You're Out There Orbiting Around, Wish I Had You Back Now, because of the Kevin Aqua reference, right? Totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I can totally hear it, like on the keyboard or something. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I'm desperate to hear it again. And, of course, Mary Kirk has been requesting it a lot, too. She loves it. I would just love, I mean, maybe now that she's touring with a band again, she will be more inclined to do it. Although I would have loved to have heard it solo again in the last 20 years. I know. Played it solo. <laughs> I know. 20 years. Um, what's your favorite lyrical moment? I guess it's the sure you're out there orbiting around. Wish I had you back now. Yeah. 
That part two, and I never put it together until this moment, that part two kind of has a similar feel to me as the taxi ride, right? Like, I'm glad you're on my side. Still. Yeah. Like, there's something there about, like, looking to the heavens and remembering somebody you love who is gone. Like, it has that kind of a quality, that kind of nostalgic reminiscence vibe to it. Uh-huh. I love that part. I, I really agree. That part. And, and that part is so prevalent and so clear in that solo version from the Charlotte performance in the Spring Tour. Yeah, that's like the heart of that version. Yeah. <laughs> Follow John Ourzler on Instagram. John Ourzler. We'll link to it in our show notes, songsoftoriamus.com. John, thank you for coming and talking about Glory of the 80s. You'll be back for Taxi Ride, no? Of course. Okay, good. first time she did this song back-to-back with Taxi Ride was on March 22nd, 2003 in Kansas City, Missouri, and we'll roll that. she did how have i never thought of this before i know she's done it back to back with taxi ride a few times now but that was the first time even though she did do taxi ride in the same set when she did this in albany on february 28th but they were at different ends of the show taxi ride was like at one end glory was at the other end and then she finally realized on march 22nd oh i'll put them together mm-hmm. oh that is a long taxi ride from la to venus god i know i'm still waiting for a mashup i'm waiting for a mashup of the two mm. one day Still never happened. Lily's dancing on the table at that party with the Bugle Boy models. Mm. I was at this performance as well on April 26th, 2003 in Austin. This is an amazing intro. I love this intro because it was the first song in the second encore, so the band got to riff a little. Mm-hmm. It was the first song in the second encore. Guess what the first song in the first encore was? Um, Taxi Ride. Classic Amos. Bop.
This is a cute little mess up on August 11th, 2003 in Chicago from the Lotta Pianos tour. Roll that, Oliver. Taxi ride on the nose? I would have loved to boop. Boop. Just another dead fag to you. Boop. Not that part. Okay. <laughs> 2005 was a hot summer and glory of the 80s provided no relief. Zero times. It's been a long time since you've referenced how hot that summer was. I missed it. <laughs> it was a hot summer. Uh. Mommy, kiss me goodbye. Mommy, where did you put my silicone party Barbies? <laughs> She brought Glory back 13 times in 2007 on the American Doll Posse Tour, and it was usually performed back-to-back with one of these three songs, Bells for Her, Donut Song, or Honey. It was always, like, paired with one of those songs. Isn't the that weird? hell? The hell? The fuck? Why do we think that is? Can we see any link here? I don't think there's any thematic link. There must be, like, a sonic link somehow. Do you think, like, Party Barbies is connected to dolls? <laughs> Bells and footfalls and soldiers and dolls? Maybe the keys of the songs complement each other somehow in her mm. mind or something. Or the tempo or the rhythm. Because Bells for Her, Donut, and Honey are all sort of down tempo. And then you lift it up with Glory. Yeah. Wild. Glory lifts us up where we belong. It's true. Here is the first performance that tour on June 6th, 2007 in Dusseldorf, Germany. If you want to hear more from this tour, head over to iTunes and purchase The Legs and Boots. Support Tori Amos. Tell me why you think this song was so prevalent, relatively speaking, on the ADP tour. Do you want to hear my actual reason, my actual thought? Yeah, but I also want to hear the lie you were contemplating, I guess. Well, there was, there's no lie. The lie would have been, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> that would have been the lie. The truth is, she referenced this period as being her Ziggy Stardust period. Right? Like, she, this was her Ziggy Stardust tour with the wigs and the things. Mm-hmm. Isn't there, like, a David Bowie reference in the song, like, Space Cake High somehow? Space Cake something? Space Oddity? I don't know. Whether or not there is or isn't a David Bowie reference, the Ziggy Stardust, the David Bowie... I think it just all took her back to the 80s somehow. Okay, that makes sense. That's the more sophisticated way of saying what I was thinking. What were you thinking? I was just thinking that she was like, this tour is fun. Let me look at the list of songs that I have that are fun. I have one, and it is Glory of the 80s. That is not true. There's a ton of fun songs. She had Big Wheel, and she did do that one. She sure did. She still has a concussion from the amount of times that she did Big Wheel. Bouncing off clouds. Code Red's fun. She did not perform the song in 2008 in Dranitor, but she did perform the song nine times on the Sinful Attraction Tour, and each time was not only sinful, it was also attractive i'll be the judge of that and when you see somebody that is attractive to you you're sinning you're just sinning 
here's the debut on that tour. Now, I have often talked about my appearance, my appearance at the Phoenix 09 show in the front row. You mean like the fact that you were there or your physical appearance, the way you looked at that show? The fact that I was there, I would never discuss my physical appearance. Okay. And she looked at me and spontaneously erupted into Home on the Range. Oh my God. Oh, I guess I did talk about my appearance because I always mentioned I had my long, beautiful Native American hair. I remember. But in each telling of that story, I always forget that she debuted Glory of the 80s that night as well. So she looked at me and she was calling me old. Mm. Here is July 18th in Phoenix. Roll it, Oliver. Why would she be calling you old? It's not like it's called Glory of the People Who Are in Their 80s. Glory of the People Born in the 1880s. September 18th on my birthday she's trying to make it up to me in Luxembourg Luxembourg and there's a great video on YouTube of this if you want to watch it it's really cute This is September 21st in Oslo, Norway. Roll that, Oliver. Tori used to talk about being a Viking in another life. Yeah, I do remember that. What happened to that? 94 went away. (laughs) Yeah. 96 came and there were other things to talk about. This is the last time she would ever perform Glory of the 80s to date. This is October 4th, 2009 in Antwerp. We've never heard from Glory of the 80s again. Mm. Why do you think that is? Well, it's been a long time since we've had a band tour. Until 2022, of course. So it probably... 
I'm going to put an asterisk on Glory of the 80s as coming back in the 2023 tour because the 2022 tour was all about like having fun. Remember, it was like, let's get our mind off things. Space dog, back to life, back to reality. The just kind of fun songs, Mm -hmm. you know, running up that hill with bliss, just like fun. We're just having fun. And Glory of the 80s for her is fun. It's so true. I'm going to footnote this. <laughs> I'm going to asterisk this and say it's going to come back. That's my prediction. I think it could happen. And we know people who will do anything to make it happen. <laughs> do we? That sounds very sinister. They'd probably stake my life on it too. Oh my <laughs> like, God. Tori, if you don't perform Glory of the 80s, I'm going to kill David. She's like, who? They hold you up by your ear. They like drag you to the show. <laughs> like evil Superman. Doesn't he like raise <laughs> yeah. someone up by their throat? Raises you up to the front row. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of the lounge. Fine. God, it's always such like a warm welcome. And then when the lights come on, you know, it's time to go. It's time to go. Get out of here. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Take your bump and leave. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. We did it, David. Yeah, oh. we sure did. What a jam-packed episode. We're doing it. We got jammed in the 80s. We got packed. We got mm, jammed. Oh, gosh. Jam-packed. Golly. If you like what we do, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos, where you can become a supporter. Today, there's much audio content at much levels, so you can pick your level and listen to extra things from years. There's years worth of audio content, so get ready, sit back, relax, enjoy, close your eyes, imagine us closed please you think people listen to us with their eyes closed yeah i do and then what are they picturing (laughs) i often record with my eyes closed isn't that weird do you really i'm trying to access my memories yeah i'm like my eyes are closed right now i'm trying to access my memories and my thoughts i'm not trying to be distracted what if there's someone creeping up behind you i have my door locked okay if you like what we do head over to songs of tori amos on twitter instagram facebook we post on all of those platforms. You can also email us, songsoftoryamus at gmail.com, or call us, 323-296-9955. Leave us a voicemail. Say hello. Emily Cousins just left us one. We'll play it on Never Shut Up. It's very exciting. Was it sexy? You know, it was cute. It was Emily. Okay. Well, because on a recent show, we asked someone to leave us sexy voicemails, and we predicted that no one would actually oh, yeah. do it. So I guess that no was one correct. Did <laughs> no one did it. Sorry. <laughs> No one cares about us that way. Yeah. That's fine. That's it. That's all we've got, David. What's your favorite 80s song if you had to pick one? Oh my gosh. This is hard. I feel like when you ask that, you want me to respond with like a really poppy 80s song. Nope. But I want you to respond with the truth. Okay. I think it's Under the Milky Way by the church. Oh, cute. Really? Yeah. I never would have guessed that. Hmm. Thank you for listening to our 80s cavalcade. We hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time for Lust Loose. I'm going to miss the 80s, but I guess I always do. They're always there orbiting around. Bye. What do you think is sexier, lust or trust? Sorry, I know you said bye.
the devil's handbook like you Something safe for the picture frame And it ain't true The devil's handbook like you So Tyler, you don't know how She came, I said I'm a sheep Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com. Got 80s, David? You got 80s? Get it? You got 80s? Yeah, I do.